So, uh, Popolo, how are we doing? Uh, multitasking. I saw the uh, art you sent to, this. I saw the art you sent to Kitty Hawk. That very impressive. I didn't know that you read this CVY. Yes, I did. I mean, come on. Uh, she's our favorite guest in animation aficionados. I had to check out what she did at some point, at least, right? I mean, yeah, that's she, true. She does remember the, the whole name of her webcomic and speaks it really fast. <laughs> I mean, that, that's. It's an amazing skill all, all by itself, you know, sparkling generation Valkyrie Yuki. <laughs> I mean, that was really good that, that, art, though. Just saying that aloud, uh, that deserves, you know, at least being checked out. You do know I, that I Neil's, been... Neil's character Dossian, Michelle Knight, had her birthday in the beginning of July. I was not aware of that at all, which is weird because I am following Dossian. So, well, to be honest, I wasn't quite aware of it either. I had to uh, kind of backtrack when I created her to figure that out. Wow. I don't recall my, my character's beard dates at all. And I, I, I even, you know, had this awkward moment with Kitty Hawk because uh, for I, I thought of drawing Thor uh, because, among other things, uh, he's a redhead. And, you know, there's a huge whitewashing scheme by Hollywood these days, so I'm always trying to, uh, what's the word, uh, just honor some of the redheads around us, and Thor has one of the best lines ever, uh, you know, the whole stop jumping so I can hit you, uh, and then you keep saying, no, I won't, because if I stop, you'll hit me and stuff. <laughs> uh, so I, I I told the Kitty Hawk, oh, uh, I was thinking of drawing Thor too, but I thought that since it's Yuki's birthday, uh, I, I wasn't sure if she, she him would be happy with it. Uh, and then she goes, oh, I love some beefcake too. Uh, and I say, okay, I'll keep that in mind. Uh, so I'll, I'll draw him for your birthday. And then uh, the thing is, I didn't have Kitty Hawk on Facebook. But she added me after the art, and I checked her bio, and I realized that hers and, you know, Yuki's birthday are the same day. So I was like, oh, uh, okay, back to the drawing board. <laughs> so I went and finally did the Thor art that you might have seen. <coughs> you okay there, buddy? I also discovered that. Yeah, it's just, here, here's the weird thing I, I found out. Um... If I sleep less than I'm supposed to, I'm actually productive. It's not a good thing for my health, but uh, remember I told you about the art block and all that? Yes. Well, it, it, it was gone the moment I only slept for, you know, four hours. That night, that's, I draw like uh, f three, maybe four drawings all in one night. Uh, I can't, I'm not going to say it's all because I didn't sleep as much as I should, but, you know, after spending a whole week sleeping 12 hours and not getting anything done, and then sleeping six hours and getting everything done, that's just something to, to take into consideration. Yeah. Da, 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 da. So, uh, so now, look at me. I, I only slept like four hours, and I'm talking with you guys while drawing this storyboard that's due today and then there's this 
Gaucho comic. That's due to Morrow. But you know, Pablo, I was looking at that the, that that Yuki, and it's really really good. And uh, like I said, I just thought it was. I just thought I'd kind of you know mention yeah, Dacian's birthday was just a little while ago too. So are I, you trying I, to coax <laughs> me into drawing Dacian? Because that's not really a problem for me at all. <laughs> Well, uh, I figured I mean, Dio was like I, come on, I figured beautiful Dio. girls and lizards with super strength and attitude. Come on, I mean, who, who would be against that other than you know this is New Fifty Two? <laughs> so there you go, Neil. Expect something soon. Okay. See, I knew. I told you. They're Neil, gonna get yours. I told you Pablo would not mind doing that. Okay. Well, I knew he At wouldn't all. mind. I just kind of felt silly about asking myself. Well, I did it for you. Okay. The Webcast Beacon Network has been covering and promoting creativity and the creative process since 2007, starting with the Webcomic Beacon, a topical webcomics podcast with a jovial bunch of misfits like your local morning radio show. Also, the Webcomic Beacon Newscast recaps, reviews, and discussions of community and industry news relative to comic creators, especially of digital distribution. Also, the Tropecast, the ever-tangential discussion of literary and visual memes. And finally, Web Fiction World. Before webcomics, there was independent and self-published web-release written fiction and literature. Find this all at webcastbeacon.com. Be sure to grab a master RSS feed or master iTunes feed and not miss a thing. So yeah. uh, we ready for, you know, you know, Star Wars. In trouble again. Oh, God. <laughs> in trouble again. I didn't make it very far. I was like, oh, my God, these suck. Uh, I saw them as a kid. Uh, I, and I just rechecked on the animation, you know, recently. Some of these are Nirvana, right? Just to check. I, I do have some of the comic books, actually. It is Nelvana. Let's get started. <clears throat> Hello and welcome again to Animation Aficionados. Uh, tonight we're talking about cartoons about a uh, galaxy far, far away. This is your host, Ben. Join my co-host, he's Mr. Neil. I've got a bad feeling about this. And joining us is uh, animator extraordinaire, Pablo Prano. You said people going to die? <laughs> yes. And like I said tonight, we're talking about Star Wars and animation. That's our friend Boba. Uh, uh, <laughs> and man. it's it's partly a story about Nelvana, an underestimated animation studio that really it, it had it had charm. Mm -hmm. I would say it did some good stuff. <laughs> and yeah. uh, and uh, yes, uh, this series was produced by Peter Solder. Yes, the same Peter Solder that did Inspector Gadget. Oh man, I feel sorry for him. <laughs> But uh, let's start with the animated special that was that was also done by Nelvana in the Christmas special. Mm -hmm. That was Nelvana too. Yes. Oh yeah. The wow. first ever named appearance of Bobo Fett. Yeah. Yeah. Boba's <laughs> a friend. Yeah, this cartoon kind of makes uh, Luke Skywalker look like an idiot. That's our friend Boba. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, these are real lines from the cartoon. He seems like a friend. The, the cartoon actually is in the uh, in the extras in the Blu-ray set. Thank God, someone at Lucas Arts was actually, or not Luke, Lucas Film was actually listening to me. So I've been saying that for years. I'm like, just you don't have to put out anything else. Just put out that cartoon, please. <laughs> in in oh, beautiful yeah. Blu-ray quality. Yeah. 
Because really, it should have been an extra on, on Empire Strikes Back like a long time ago. A galaxy far away. Yeah. I saw that coming from... <laughs> from many miles away. Yes. But yeah, the... Uh... <laughs> the... I saw that coming 12 parsecs away. But how is... And there there are shots... In... The 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 holiday special cartoon actually is kind of interesting to look at because there's lots of uses of Dutch angles in animation that you don't really expect. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, you, you usually don't watch cartoons of this era. It's not just Dutch angles. It's not just Dutch angles. Yeah, this has plenty of stuff in it that was like. What, what what year did this came uh, came out again? It was like seventies yet because it sort of kills, it sort of shows. It, it, <laughs> I think it I'm was. I'm sure it, it probably it probably came out. Wasn't it like a year after the the original movie? It 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 was exactly one year. Yeah, it was. Yeah, so it was like se- late seventies. And people who've heard this podcast know that I like I like weird seventies animation. This is actually good for for the seventies. Yeah, kind of that. And it's, it's kind of weird. that weird sort of Fritz the Cat sort of animation that I like. Kind of heavy metal, too. Yeah, kind of heavy yeah. metal. Actually, one of the spe- one of the segments of heavy metal is very close to this one in style. <laughs> are, you, are you talking about the one with the, with the space station? Most likely, yes. Yeah. But yeah, this is... Uh, yeah, the, the holiday special cartoon, the first appearance of Boba Fett, and technically he is not a badass in this either. So, there. Yeah. Uh, to think that the only reason he exists is because of a toy. Yes. Yeah, and you know that they try to do this again with the new trilogy, of course. Oh wait. <laughs> <laughs> that thing makes it onto the show again. <laughs> we need we need five teenagers of attitude. <laughs> I'm leaving that in. <laughs> Approach the viewing globe. <laughs> ay, ay, ay. Oh, my God, Sordon. This weird pig is eating all the hot dogs off Angel Grove. Think of the children. Oh, God. I love the, the small-scale mayhem that the original uh, Power Rangers episodes had. Because that, that it's like no, we can't. Then they wrecked five buildings in downtown to stop uh, a pig eating hot dogs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> makes, the, uh, makes the freaking Transformers look downright, uh, you know, subtle in the original G1 season one. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's but back to uh, Star Wars cartoons. The uh, it's re- you really have to experience the holiday special cartoon yourself because it is trippy as shit yeah the designs uh they're all they're han solo oh they're han solo that sort of you know what the the thing that uh sadly i had to reference when it comes to han solo uh identity crisis the moment you know uh elongated man uh breaks down at the funeral of his wife and his face melts Oh God! <laughs> and it's supposed to be like this highly dramatic, uh, touching scene, because he's literally breaking down. Well, that's Han Solo in this cartoon all the time. <laughs> His face is like long. 
it's sort of like his face hangs from the top of his head. Yeah. And you can't see his eyes. <laughs> well, to be fair, Harrison was, like, squinting a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, they, but they also had, you know, this... It was trippy as hell. <laughs> and also had some weird stuff, uh, like, very cartoony stuff. Like, R2-D2 sort of shakes at one point. He's like, he vibrates. He sort of melts. Everything's made of rubber. It's uh, cartoon physics. So sort, of like, sort of like that scene in uh, Revenge of the Shit where uh, R2-D2 fought the battle droids with cartoony effects with, like, shooting oil slicks and and rocket boots and stuff like that, right? I forgot about the Yo, rocket he, boots. He was, like, rubbery and, and vibrating here, so no wonder he was hanging out with uh, this layout. <laughs> I actually saw Ernest draw something about that, but that's another story. Um, oh, no. But anyways, uh, um, you know, C-3PO sounded really, uh, really sedated in this cartoon because usually he's, he's really uptight. And he's like, oh, Master Luke, you know, he's really like really bumbling and 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 like, oh. really nervous. But here he's like, I do say Master Luke. He's, it's like it's like he, someone gave him like Ritalin or something. <laughs> well Riddler did just come out around then but uh but let's uh like i said the, the most we can say about this one is you have to see it yourself um let's talk about being in trouble again star wars droids i i couldn't oh. make it through this this is i i only saw i was watching episode one and i had to tap yeah i i had to tap it was it cut and a lot of it is, you know, yes, you have Anthony Daniels doing his uh, – he actually is doing some pretty good voice but voice work. But one thing that amazed me was I just knew an instant when I saw it, oh, my God, Gendy was cripping off of this like crazy when he animated C-3PO in, in Clone Wars. Well, if you listen to the commentary on Clone Wars, he does admit this. He says he says that he remembered the, the old Nelvana cartoons and he specifically copied that style. I mean, there's a scene in the in oh. in the Gendy Clone Wars where C-3PO opens up his cloak to show that he has gold plating, and the mannerisms <laughs> and all that is exactly like how C-3PO is animated here. I, lo- I love that scene because it kind of has like Star Wars porn music when he does that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> how do you know about Star Wars porn? No, I, I, I really enjoy the... The design choices that they did for uh, for droids actually, uh, because it's a it's a cartoon look, but it's very recognizable. Yeah, uh, not, not I, the I, not the human characters though. I thought the human not the human characters. No, kind of generic. <laughs> yeah, and it's kind of such a weird story of of now now the droids have a new master who was a smuggler who jettisoned them off, and now they're back on a desert planet again, and they're like repeating dialogue from the first Star Wars movie, like. You remember this? Yes, you do. Wink. It it almost seems like uh, with episode three, uh, Lucas tried to decanonize this specifically because they hand the droids over right to to Captain Antilles, which is who, who is Wedge's uncle. Yeah, who they specifically say in the very next movie, episode four, that that was their last master. So that this is completely shot from the can in this cartoon. Or maybe, maybe they he, got he, lost and they got found again because, because they were in travel again. 
Because remember, Boba Fett got out of the Sarlacc pit and then uh, back in. The Star Trek universe is circular. Star Wars. Star Wars. I, I said Star Trek. Oh my god! Yeah, but I I can just picture, uh, I can just picture George Lucas looking at this and saying, "I cannot believe this cartoon is made by the same people who made Rock and Roll." Because <laughs> it's it just it's just like, what the fuck happened? <laughs> Yeah, I really can't say much about this other than I have to praise Gendy for the fact of cribbing off of the mannerisms and the animation, like perfecting them and stuff. But no, th- this is painful. And actually, another certain overblown, you know, character shows up in this. Uh, IG88 shows up in an episode. Oh, jeez. <laughs> now let me tell you about IG88. That's was- our friend IG88. He was a prop that showed the background of Empire Strikes Back. And just like everyone else from Gengar to Max Grebo, there are books about him. That he was in video games. He has a whole story. He has his own life and credit cards. It's like... And really, wasn't he just... It looked like he, they just went to like a like an army surplus store, got some like, I don't know, just bits and pieces here and there and put them on like a coat rack. And said, here, here's a character. And just put him next to Vader for two seconds in Empire Strikes Back just to have something there. To, to, to just, to just like, fill in the, the color of, of the scene, you know? To yeah, show... we'll put this next to the alligator guy and the guy in bandages. <laughs> Gengar, the greatest bounty hunter in the universe. <laughs> Gengar. Boba! <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, it, it's like... It, it That's the thing that, like, drives me crazy. It's like... IG-88, even even back in, like, the 80s, there's all this wankery shit about him. It's like, he was a prop. He didn't even have, like, real robot legs. He had, like, these two metal sticks that weren't even, like, articulated and shit. And, and now they're like, he's a badass bounty hunter, and, and he's, a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a mid-level boss on Shadows of the Empire. It's like, but he can't run. It's like he has, like, two big metal sticks. He has to, like, walk like chopsticks or something. It's like, you fucking with me? Well, it, it's sort of, you know, the Star Wars movies, uh, when it comes to the extended universe, it's like the Star Wars movies are the Bible. <laughs> And the extended universe is all the different religions that popped out of it with their different interpretations of that. So it's like... Well, I'm going to uh, say right now, IG-88 is, 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 like, uh, is like the Branch Davidians. <laughs> oh. but the thing is that, you know, again, it's like they, they, they grasp to every little silo that, uh, that anyone ever said. Every single word... Uh, so it's like, for instance, the reason why they 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 keep, you know, saying that Boba Fett is such a badass, uh, it's because he asks Bather a question. You know, it's like, he's of no use to be dead. Uh, what if he dies or something like that? Uh, and then Bather goes like, uh, whatever. But, but the thing is like, but if you if you pay attention... He didn't think twice to go and ask Darth Vader, the most badass character in the Star Wars universe, about, uh, you know, the fate of his prisoner. That means he has no fear. 
Uh-huh. Well, but you also have to remember that Vader wagged his finger up and no disintegration. No what kind disintegration. of bounty hunter disintegrates his his charges? I picture Boba Fett like getting a dustbuster, like filling like bags full of dust and saying, "Here's my bounty. Give me money." Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's how he made his reputation. And then Jabba you know, would be sending just... bounty hunter after him. <laughs> they, they, they just he just popped up uh, on different planets you know carrying bags of sand and dust and saying yeah here's the luke skywalker i disintegrated him now give me my reward see the reason why uh, i by... liked the reason why i liked boba fett back in the day was just because he had kind of like the the sleazy voice he was like he's no good to be dead and, and then now he sounds like an aussie that. yeah someone someone in kitty hawk's chat room said like he was like he, he sounds like a badass like jason statham i'm like shut the fuck up <laughs> Seriously, that—that's how people think Jason Statham sounds. Yeah, I'm like, no, because first of all, first of all, that's uh, that Tamora Morrison is not Australian. He's like uh, a kiwi. A, yeah, he's a kiwi, and he, I don't like his delivery. He kind of, he sounds kind of stuffy, and he doesn't sound like he's really into the role. He doesn't he sound like, rough. He I always sound... kind of sound like this whenever I talk. <laughs> Yeah, the thing the thing is the old voice sounds like a guy who had some like mileage. He sounds yeah, like he sounds like he could be like a fifty year old badass underneath that mask. While you have this other guy who sounds like he lived a you know he he lived like a comfortable life and he's only like thirty. Yeah, I like the way that that Boba Fett sounded like he sounded all grisly and sounded like he he's been through a few bad situations. <laughs> he sounds like he's a vet. Is yeah. what he'll say. <laughs> I get. Sounds like one pencil drop away from a flashback. That's yeah. <laughs> uh, well, actually, Neil and I have both had teachers that had um, flashbacks in the middle of class. So. Oh, that's what you're referring to. Yeah, I had a I had a teacher. See, I just I was just like, what? What is this? Yeah, I had a teacher that was a World War II vet, and some kid in the classroom dropped a pencil on the floor, and he had a flashback right then and there, and he just went into the the most psychotic rant I've ever seen. I'm like, oh my god, why is this man working? <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about the let's talk about the other Nelvana animated special. This is always next to droids in the video stores. It's not a special. It was act- like droids. It was a Saturday morning cartoon. That- yes, that's what I meant. That, that actually yeah. outlived the the droids. Yeah, yes. it, it had its own season. Okay, and uh, what's the name of the main Ewok? Wicked. Pablo, Wicked. you should be ashamed of yourself. Why? Everyone I will knows never be Wicked ashamed is. of myself. I actually do like the Ewoks, and I do like Wicked. Yeah, I never understood what the hatred for the Ewoks was. I was always fine with them. It's yeah. like I didn't, I didn't really see it as a sign of of stuff to come. Maybe I should have, but. <laughs> on their own, they really weren't that offensive. Well, actually, it's offensive what the what the rebels did to them. That's true. Because because Pablo, imagine this. Imagine the what's the name of that conquistador that came from Spain to uh, to. We uh, had plenty of those. What the but the big one, the one that the uh, one that killed Montezuma. Oh oh oh! Kids, ah oh damn you, Spaniard! I can't recall your name at this moment, but I had him so clear. <laughs> he had a beard. What? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Cortez? Wait, wait, wait. Hernan Cortez. Yes. 
Yes, yes. I'm sure yes. we all had to look this up on Wiki. So imagine, uh, so so this is what the rebels are. The rebels are like Cortez. They show up. They show like stuff that's their te- technology that the uh, that that the that the primitive Stone Age natives think is magic. In this case, Luke, Luke uh, you know, they you know C three PO they think is a golden god, and Luke levitates them with the Force and basically tricks the Stone Age natives to like fight fight the Empire for them. And it's like it's the Stone Age natives that get practically wiped out in this battle. Uh, they, they outlived them. They actually ate the the empire. Seriously, empty helmets. And what was the original intent of the Ewoks on the invaders? To oh, eat them. Oh, I never put that together. Ooh. <laughs> oh man. But they're but, banging their skulls at the end. But that that's true. However, it during <laughs> the battle, who was taking the losses? The Rebel Alliance or the Ewoks? The Ewoks, uh, they were... Besides, we all know that the Rebel Alliance, uh, the Rebels only exist to die, except for the A-Team. Well, that's pretty so, much who were on the ground, the A-Team. Yeah. It, <laughs> dun, so, dun, dun, dun. so, like I, like I said, you, you have Luke, you know, using a combination of technology that the Ewoks aren't familiar with, and magic powers to convince this primitive Stone Age tribe to fight a proxy battle for them. It's like the French-Indian alliance during the French and Indian War. There's plenty of examples of that in other fiction. I mean, we we can't blame just Lucas for this. I I know, but it seems kind of icky now, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I think that the thing is that we have to look back on it. Because, again, uh, maybe if the Empire had found out uh, about the Ewoks sooner, maybe they might, might have whipped them out or kept them as pets or something so what i'm worried is uh, in episode seven will we get to know whatever happened to the ewoks after the battle sort of like it, did it, they try to culturize them in the ways of the force and they would like i can't hear the force and, and then look goes kill them they have no heart they're devils and i don't know they, they take wicked uh, and ask for a king's ransom or something like that who knows i'm gonna call it right now there's going to be an Ewok Jedi. Just you wait and see. They'll do it. There is, <laughs> there is a Hut Jedi. No, no. You gotta, you, you just can't say an Ewok Jedi. It's gonna be Wicked. Wicked has a way with the Force, and he's going to be the new Joda. I, I'm not joking. There is a Jedi that is a Hut. I, I recently found out there's a Jedi that was. What was it? Uh, I, I, I heard. Oh, here's the thing. Yaddle. It's a female Joda that sprouted out of a concept design that they had done for Joda for episode one. Yaddle. There is a hut J- Jedi. I just showed you a picture. And he's but. he's got a lightsaber, but you know, there's a lot of his body there just exposed that you know anyone can just take a swing at it. It's like yeah, is that a Jedi or a Sith or just some worm that? Picked up a lightsaber. No, it's a it's a Jedi. It's a Hut Jedi Knight. That's is he fighting a Sith here? He's actually training Leia. <sighs> crickets, crickets all over. I... Crickets everywhere. Is he like one of the leftover Jedi from the old Republic? Is that yes. how he's a Jedi? God damn it! <laughs> so I'm thinking, where did this guy come from? <laughs> Order training... sixty six is not quite as thorough as one would think. Oh God. 
I guess they left that it open. That was the worst order ever. By the way, Execute what I would have order wanted sixty-six. If the Star Wars Clone Wars series ever gets as far as Order sixty-six, I do want them to make some fiction regarding, you know, like one trooper that was asleep or something during Order sixty-six, so he didn't go homicidal on all Jedi's. That should actually, have been the origin of Boba Fett. That that's what it should have been. Actually, there's a there's a there's a story in the Force Unleashed kind of like that, Pablo. Really? There is one Jedi Knight that refused to take clone troopers because he didn't trust them. It's like the only one that was smart. Like here's this magical clone army that was like requested 20 years ago that we never we don't remember ordering. Oh, let's use them. And here's this one Jedi's like, you guys are idiots. I'm going to take a volunteer army from like real soldiers that. Like, I can trust. And he was the one that wasn't killed. Yeah, but I also meant uh, having, like, a clone trooper that's not, you know, just uh, not turned waiting on. for a psychic uh, trigger to, you know, go nuts. But, yeah, the 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 the, 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 the one I'm talking about is, uh, is General Rom Kota. He shows up in Force Unleashed. He's voiced by some guy that has a gruff voice. Like I said, he was, like, the only Jedi that was smart. He's like... Okay, we we found this this army that no one knows how we got. That no one can account for how they were created. They are already paid for, and you're just going to take them and order them around. Okay, idiots! I'm going to get my own army out of volunteers of like free people who aren't clones, and I'm probably going to outlive you. Oh wait, I'm right. I did. Yeah. I kind of like Pablo's idea because you know what you could do with that. You could you could have the one clone trooper who who gets the order sixty six. And then he's like, "Did you hear something? Must have been some kind of drill." You know, he, they do they they could reprise that. <laughs> I love that. I love that. <laughs> oh god. Actually, actually, the thing they did with General Kota it was at the, at the beginning it was kind of cool, and then Force Unleashed, uh, Star Killer blinded him, and then he's still like a super Jedi even when blind. And I think that's going a little too far with the Force thing. You know, oh, I, god. it's yeah. like okay, he's blind. But he's he's like a badass still. It's like really, I can go with that when it comes to Star Wars and Force users because come on, what's the first uh, training that Luke receives? That's one thing. That's, yeah, but it's in the it's canon. He can he can pilot ships and stuff and like do complex computer commands and those where all the buttons are on every computer. Really. Uh, I could go with that. I mean, come on. If the force uh, implies that you can affect physical objects around you without touching them, then it teaches you to be intuitive, then uh, you should you know, be able to, for instance, pilot a ship. Uh, what I wouldn't count on the force would be to you know, get uh, matching color uh, robes. What, what, because... do you, what, do say, what do you say to this, Neil? What do you, what do you say to this? I don't know. Come on. You have to weigh in. You have to be the tiebreaker. <laughs> I really don't know. It's nothing important. We're talking about the expanded universe. This is but, the sort of moment where, you know, Neil just stands up and slaps us. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, 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 have, I did hear this one joke a while back about Order 66 where the the, the clone troopers get get the order and they're like, right, well, we'll kill all the annoying CG creatures. And then they hear, also Order 67. Kill the Jedi too. Got it. It's time for intermission, boys and girls. Do you like retro shows? Did you grow up in either the 80s or the 90s? 
then tune into Telecast, GeekCastRadio.com's newest podcast. Join us here on the Telecast as we revisit some of your favorite shows, such as Clarissa Explains It All, Salute Your Shorts, Saved by the Bell, and much, much more, only on GeekCastRadio.com. Are you looking for a weekly dose of gaming news and retro? And check out Off the Cuff, available Fridays on GeekCast Radio Network from the producers of XRG. New name, same By the power of Grayskull, I command the jaw bridge. Open! Yes, that's right. We have traveled to Eternia to enter Castle Grayskull. Join Optimus Solo and TF2 and Mike as they find themselves telling tales of Eternia. We cover all things He-Man in this 45-episode-long podcast. You can find us on iTunes and www.geekassradio.com. By the power of Grayskull, we all have the power. And now, back to the show. But anyway, Ewoks... (laughs) Yes. Okay, I did watch one episode of this, and I'll get to why I picked this particular episode to watch. But it's an episode where, uh, let's see, the, the synopsis is the Dulocs, which are this made-up race of bad guys. They kind of look like Grinches. The green guys. Yeah, the green guys. The Dulocs Steve, steal a love potion and make the Ewoks have to deal with a giant female blog exposed to it and now smitten with Wicked. So basically it's like a love potion story. And there's a giant creature that falls in love with Wicket, and she wants to love him and pet him and call him George. And and this is all and this is going on while the the Dulocs are stealing uh, the harvest so that they can so that they can uh, eat in the winter, I suppose. And it's oh god, it is so bad. This this takes advantage of the medium of animation, not at all. It's basically a sitcom plot. There's I don't see the point of in this even being animated. You could do this with like Muppets for Christ's sake. <laughs> and it Okay, the reason why I picked this episode is because the title of the episode is Blue Harvest. Oh and yes. And it's written by Paul Dini. It must be the worst cartoon Paul Dini ever wrote. He did write episodes of He Man. And also Ultimate Spider Man. Uh-oh. I don't know. You have to watch this to it's it's pretty bad. <laughs> wow. Well, uh, the Ewoks cartoon uh, felt more cut off from the Star Wars universe in general because it's all Endor, except in the end when when in episodes that I haven't seen, the Empire shows up and discovers Endor. So, uh, oh, did, however, you, did you ever hear about the the uh, the, the aborted game that was going to take place regarding Ewoks, the the video game? This is the first person shooter. <laughs> well, they they couldn't do it because they were going to name it Endor's Game. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, I got a laugh from Neil. <laughs> That's a good pun. Uh, <laughs> See, I'm just I'm uh, just a picture I'm just picturing a first person shooter where you're just mowing down Ewoks. <laughs> <laughs> I can make that with a Doom mod. There is a Doom mod for that. Somewhere. I'm sure there is. There's a Doom mod for anything. <laughs> oh. I'm oh, just glad like, I finally got a pun. Okay. There's a what? What was it? There's many. I'm not sure. What was there ever a crossover of the cartoon series? Because in the comics that I had as a kid, uh, they did have like two 
crossovers with the droid series. Mm. Of course, it's... entirely out of canon, because I think C-3PO would remember it, unless he got mind wiped again. <laughs> again. Or, <laughs> again, for I continuity. I remember these little bear creatures. Oh, mind wipe again, C-3PO. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go again. Only he wouldn't remember it, so he'd be like, mind wipe? What are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> this has happened to me before. Uh, Eat Chuta. <laughs> I, I like the... I, I remember watching the Ewoks movies, you know, Caravan of Courage and the other one. Uh, and I recall the, Wolf, how, with Wolf or how dark the first part of the sequel is. Because it basically because kills it, off the family from the first movie. Yeah, the first movie is all about, oh, let's get this family together. And the first 10 minutes of the second movie, it's about ki- getting all of them killed. And I remember as a kid, I was like, what? <laughs> that was hardcore. Yeah, that's kind of like the, the third Alien movie where the, the little girl from Aliens gets killed in the first five minutes. Off screen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, off screen, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so they were like, you know, that whole thing about Ripley finding this uh, maternal power and strength. Yeah, just thrown out the window. Thanks, movie. <laughs> Get away from her, you bitch! Oh, I had some Sam Keith uh, comics from Aliens that were interesting to look at and and sort of had some of the developments that I eventually saw when it came to uh, to Prometheus, which is weird now I think about it. I never made that connection. You know, the, there's a Sam Keith Aliens comic that ends up with Earth overrun by aliens and that they find out that it was a space jockey all along that was basically trying to send the xenomorphs into Earth to basically fuck us. Yes, the the, the whole idea was the, xenom- the xenomorph was a biological weapon to like uh, clean up a planet before the uh, space jockeys take it. Yeah. And now, like, what was it, almost 20 years later, it pops up again in a very, very bad movie. A beautiful, very, very bad movie. <sighs> with with the one, one of the weirdest abortion scenes ever. Oh, don't, don't remind me. I, I don't want to focus on Prometheus because I have so many issues with that movie. So many issues with that movie. It, 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 it's like it's like they're, it's they're all they're all from the code hanger, we have a laser all all of the problems sprout out from the script that's the sad thing it has gorgeous art design it has incredible settings uh direction i mean it, the mood's incredible it it does what it sets out to do however the script it's made of bullshit that got eaten by a cow then defecated again into a larger pile of bullshit that was eaten by a sort of uh, cow centipede that ate that shit, then pooped it into another cow's mouth. Stop. That then pooped stop, it into... Stop, stop, stop. You're turning into James Rolfe. Please stop. <laughs> Sorry about that, but that's what the script of Prometheus is. But back to back to Star Wars cartoons. So, uh, so Ewoks... Ewoks. Why, why the hell did they change Wicked's, uh, you know, hoodie? I mean, seriously, there, there there was some weird palette swap between the first and second season that made no sense and looked like shit. I don't know. I have no idea either, but the, what, what's the strongest thing you can say about Ewoks? It was well, cancelled? 
in trouble again. Well, it it, it had a sense of adventure. It 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 had a, 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 a mythology of its own. It didn't rely entirely on the Star Wars brand to be its own thing. It didn't have uh, to have IG-88 show up. Yeah, <laughs> that too. Um, and also, uh, it was, uh, I don't know, it had different characters. that it, it built characters from scratch. I mean, other than Wicked, you, you couldn't exactly tell the Ewoks apart or their but personalities. Didn't it, kind or of feel, didn't it kind of feel a little bit like Gummy Bears watching it now? Yeah, it's like the cheap yummy, uh, gummy bears. It's, it's like the store, it's the store brand gummy bears that doesn't say Black Forest on it. It's it's the whole it was a whole Teddy um, it was a whole bear era. Those would you be had the Care, Care bears. bears. You had uh, Popo bears. You Teddy had uh, what? Well, Teddy Ruxpin. The Care Bears Teddy were Ruxpin. done by uh, by Nelvana, so pretty, oh, pretty apt comparison. Oh, oh, Sugar Bear had had his own cartoon too. You, mm-hmm. you mean the cereal mascot? Yeah. There was Super Ted, too. Yeah, yeah. Neil, you didn't know this? Sugar Bear had his own cartoon. Oh, my God. And there there was... I, uh, there I, was, I think Neil's trying to... Oh, oh this. what was the name of this uh, of, of this uh, Bayo boat uh, a bear thing? A bear that lived in a swamp and had a... It was like tailspin only in a swamp and uh, not as adventurous. I have no idea what you're talking about, but I want to see this. Bayou Bear. Uh, uh, that's uh, I don't know that that's the name that popped to my head, but it ma- makes no sense. Let me let me do a proper search. Uh, bear Swamp cartoon on YouTube. Mm, bear Swamp. You know, for a second, there, I thought it might have been the hillbilly bears, but they weren't in the swamp. The mm. Hair Bear bunch. The hair. No, that was in that was in a zoo. Oh. But they were like hip. They 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 were like they were like a country. It, it was it was that was like uh, that was like Yogi Bear with a fro. Yeah, but weren't they like country? I I thought they were like like deep country kind of bear. One one was kind of a country bumpkin, and one was kind of stupid. They all all three of them had different personalities. Oh. The main one was basically Yogi with a fro. Froggy. Kissy four. Kissy. Oh, this does sound familiar. Ah. <laughs> uh. Kissy fur. Kissy fur? Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, bad memories. <laughs> memories. Kissy fur. Oh, God, Wait, no. It's coming back. <laughs> oh. Well, it's all coming back to me now. <laughs> these, these are all cartoons that would make John Kay cry. Because he probably worked yeah. on some of them. Written by Jim I believe John Kay hated Nirvana. He Why had, they like, actually whole... they actually animated with some character? I mean, you know, John Kay really doesn't have any room to talk here. He 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 worked with uh, Glenn Kennedy for crying out loud. Well, he probably worked on the on the Nirvana stuff that came out during this era, which you know, Nirvana got kind of bad toward the early to mid eighties. This looks like it's like some of the designs are ripped or out of Disney. Some of the designs aren't. Like the like the alligators look straight from Disney. <laughs> You know what I mean? Well, yeah. Disney steals from Disney these days. I mean, uh, well, it always did. Uh, but uh, there, there's this whole controversy now with Frozen, which again, oh, how smart. I, I only realized today. Instead of saying Rapunzel, they're saying Tangled. And instead of saying the Snow Queen, now they're saying Frozen. The next movie will be, I don't know, uh, give, give me the first... Uh, 
the the first cartoon, you know, the folktale princess tale that you can think of. Uh, princess of the Pea? Princess of the Pea. Well, uh, th then instead of Princess of the Pea, it's going to be uh, laid. <laughs> you have frozen, tangled, and laid. Because what's the Princess and the Pea about? Laying in bed. Yeah, yeah but so that, that's, that's, that's the, a little the name risque. Of the movie will be laid. <laughs> that's a little risque. What about P? No, 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 no. <laughs> P. <laughs> P E A. <laughs> Dirty minded boy there. But, uh, <laughs> but, but, any, anyways. No, uh, I got it. Peapod. Love it. But, any, anyways, uh, I think we talked enough about Ewoks. Let's talk about the only really good animation that came out of Star Wars. The Star Wars Gendy Tartakovsky cartoon. Yes. yes. Which, oh, yeah. uh, which, as we said earlier, he was totally cripping off of the C3PO animation when he was yeah. doing C3PO, and we love him for it. And like I said last yeah. time, this really should have been episode two. I, I don't understand why Clo why uh, Attack of the Clones was made. <laughs> Nothing <laughs> happens in that movie. It, 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 it's like it's like they got they start at the same place and they end at the same place. Like we don't know anything about it's, this Sith we're looking for. You know, there's this mystery of this Sith. Where is this Sith? And then at the it, end, they still don't know. It took two hours for them to establish three things: the clone troopers, which they didn't have to do. The love, the the love story between Anakin and uh, and Padme, which they also didn't have to do. It was so, it that that could have been done so much faster. And then the other thing that they established was that the the Palpatine just got a little closer to being the Emperor, but not it. It was like such an such an irrelevant step that they. It was just killing time. Uh, yeah, basically, movies. it was like it was just to justify having something in that spot between Episodes One and Three. It's like. Here's this completely boring story that no one's going to care about. Which I, is I, really funny because the, the first movie when Anakin is so young, it's like they have all these years and they're like, they're like, nope, we're going to get in a hurry to finish this off. Yeah. I mean, it was just, I still think that it's, episode two is the worst Star Wars movie ever made. Okay. And uh, I, I think <laughs> I could get behind that. <laughs> I, I think episode three kind of inches it out, but. Uh, mm, I don't know. But. But and anyways, uh, episode three at least was entertaining. It was bad, but it was entertaining. I mean, and, the, and, and Chewie knows is, and Chewie knows Yoda. You know, you can't I'm just not... you can't just you know throw out one thing and expect that to just override everything else. <laughs> <laughs> that was pure wankery, Neil. It was wankery, but you know, pure... episode, episode two had a lot of pure wankery too, and it it was even more pointless than episode three. But anyway. Hmm. Well, we're, 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 stuff we're, had we're, to happen and happened. The, 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 this, this, is, this is like a race to the bottom. So speaking of races to the bottom, after Gendy's brilliant Clone Wars, which we've covered multiple times in depth. Yes. Let's Actually, talk about... The, go ahead. The one thing I got to say, it's uh, since we've talked about how much we love this series, I got to point out something that I noticed, uh, which would be the, the only thing that I, I could sort of complain about of that series, just to, you know make a difference here today. And that's that uh, the first season uh, that are mostly, you know, these separate short stories, you know, self-contained, they're uh, highly artistic. They're incredibly visual. They don't need dialogues or anything most of the time. Uh, they're, they're incredible pieces of art. The second season, 
even though it's made by the same people, uh, it has more of an agenda behind it, which is sort of tying up with episode three. That's partially Lucas's fault. I know. It's uh, uh, trying to, uh, what's the word, tie Wait. up loose ends. The problem is that then he fucked on all of that when he made the other. Uh, but the thing is, uh, so it had a more clear, linear storyline, and you get to see it on the composition of the of the shots themselves, and the framing and all of that, that it's just like, oh, I gotta tell this story. And there's like, there's there isn't as much space as in the first season where you could just have this huge wide shot that would just to sort of gain momentum. Here it's more like, oh, stuff is happening, explanations need to be done. Uh, so, you know, it, it doesn't feel as huge and uh, uh, what's the comparison I have to make? The first season feels more like a Stanley Kubrick movie, a good one. Uh, There's only one good one. Mm -hmm. And the second season uh, feels more, uh, more of a standard action film. That's the, the sort of feel that you get from the two seasons. Because, you know, people are talking all over. There's a clear storyline. There's a clear place they're going. I'm not saying it's bad. Uh, I, I, I still believe it's great. However, I just feel it was a shift in tone that I, I did notice. Uh, and that I, I personally enjoyed more the others. I, if it was up for me, we, we'd still have short films of Star Wars done by Gandhi. You know, just you know, silent movies, short yes. ones. But uh, like, like with the with the troopers, and that's the other thing, because even though you get to sort of feel like the the clone troopers are, you know, sort of friends with the Jedi, you don't uh, root for them in the same way. For instance, they're mostly faceless in one of the sh uh, short films. However, uh, the news serious well it has a problem that i, I will talk later on but that, that's the thing i love the the way they handle the series i i enjoy mostly the first uh the first season i actually uh, gave classes with the uh, asash ventress uh, anakin skywalker fight uh, yes and, and i also compare it uh, to i also give comparisons between uh Episode uh, three, Revenge of the Sith, and also Empire Strikes Back, and, and this fight between Anakin and Asash, because both uh, Empire uh, Empire is all tension. It's all about he hits me, I'm dead. He's this force of you know looks just scared the shit out of him, uh, while Vader just looms in on him, and he just keeps. He's almost like he's almost like he's almost like Jason in that sense. Like he keeps on coming. Yeah. And, and there's it's, just this iconic breathing versus the. Yeah, it's like that. It's a horror movie basically, and it's and and suddenly it's like yeah, and I'm your father. It's like what? Uh, meanwhile, uh, when and then you go back to the Asash Ventress thing, which is like with the entire freedom that the animation medium gives you. Like, for instance, I know people complain about how overpowered the Jedi are in that. And I'm like, fuck that. It's awesome. It's something that can only It's be all about the drama. See, I, I'm, the, I'm the one that complains the most about the Jedi being overpowered. But I'm okay with Gendy's Clone Wars because he does it be, 
because he can do it and get the right dramatic sense out of it. Everyone yeah, else does. Everyone thing. else does it because they want to rock the dragon. He does it for the right reasons. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. It's a dramatic way. That, for instance, uh, even though like season two isn't as uh, powerfully dramatic when it comes to the art as the first season, the moment that Mace Windu wrecks, uh, what's the name of the of General Grievous? when he basically does this force grab on his thorax, it's a hugely powerful uh, scene visually. It was you that actually... bit please moment I loved. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of like, it's like, wow! It's like you feel all this power. It's like, oh my God, that Samuel L. Jackson just basically smashed this badass villain's thorax with his mind. Uh, Those and it's greatly directed. However... Again, uh, when we go to episode three, Revenge of the As You Know, uh, it's all flash and no substance. It's people. There's this. <laughs> there's this scene. Uh, uh, this is this part between the fight between Anakin and Obi Wan, where they're standing in front of each other, just spinning swords around, trying like real hard not to hit each other, and they're just standing there in the middle, and they're just. Swinging their swords around them, like they're waiting for they wait like, for their turns to roll the dice to figure out which one has the advantage, and so they can roll dice and figure out the point system. Like I have the high ground that gives me plus five defense. No, that, that was. <laughs> I, have to, I have to roll natural twelves now. No, 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 no. That 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 was when they were actually doing stuff. I, what I'm saying <laughs> is, there's this whole part of the fight sequence where they're just standing in you know this floating lava thingy. In a boat, or I don't recall exactly they're what standing it was. On, they're standing on droids that have force fields that are floating on lava. And they're standing right in front of each other, you know, less than like less than a meter away from each other, at, like at, at arm's length. And they're spinning swords around them, like, I'm not hitting you, I'm not hitting you, you know, the earth free. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, uh, and, and I'm like, you're not trying to hit each other at all, like, at all. Seriously, and they keep doing that, and it's it's. I'm like, why are you doing this? It it take uh it took off all the dramatic tension that the other movies had, that the Asajj Ventress versus Anakin Skywalker fight had, which is this whole f actual danger, this actual danger to it. You know, this whole tension, people worrying about what what's going on. It's drama. It's Luke Skywalker's. It's he didn't finish his training. He's facing the Sith Lord, the Lord of Darkness, and he's looming on him, and he's going to kill him, and and he's terrified of this, and that's why Vader gets the advantage. Meanwhile, uh, Asajj Ventress fight again. This is a whole pent up passion. It's they keep changing grounds, uh, moving up, uh, losing, you know, gear, and he even loses the sword and then grabs the red sword. There's a whole color. Uh, the Empire Strikes Back, it's all about shadows and stuff you don't see and backlights. And then you get this fight scene, which is, which is the most important turning point in the prequel history. It's Obi-Wan versus Anakin Skywalker. And it's like, how can we make this dramatic? I, we need lava, lots of lava, people standing on edges and stuff. And what do they do? They don't care at all. They're just swinging around swords like nothing. To, to be fair, to be fair, it has always been established that Obi-Wan and Anakin did fight outside a lava pit. 
even back in the seventies. That was that, that was a, my that was always is that they don't care. They're drones. If if this was a fight between C-3PO and R2D2, we'd had more emotion. Shit, things just got real there. Oh, oh, R2, you you killed me. I loved you. I loved you like a brother. You're the chosen one. I loved you so much. I'm just gonna let you slowly burn to death and leave you. <laughs> and just just because of spite, I'm gonna go back and yell at you a little bit more, and then I'll walk away. But but uh, any anyways, oh by the way, your sword. Thank okay, you. Take it. But any and anyways, uh, let's talk about uh, let's talk about you know anytime George sees anyone do something better than he does, as Kidiak established. He can't take it, so he either divorces you or he fires you and then does it himself the wrong way. I think and the Gendy series shot from the cannon. Yeah. And and let's talk about the the, the, the shitty Clone Wars. With uh, my least favorite character of all time, Ahsoka. <laughs> Which the sexualized fourteen year old? I'm not even complaining about the sexualization. It's just that she is such a Mary Sue. I mean, she's this, she's this hip teenage character that's in the series. You know, just a. She's a. Is, oh, let, 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 let me stop you there. That's all that you need to say. Here yeah. is the Star Wars series, and you have a Jedi who is a hip, hip teenage girl. Yeah. That's all you really need to say. Yeah, it's like, ugh. why? Why does she exist? I mean, I, I, I would be okay with like the. What, what was that race the, the with the two things coming off the head the what the twelfth the Twi'lek or whatever they're yeah. they're called there was a there was a Twi'lek Jedi I was okay with that what first of all she's like my least favorite race in the entire Star Wars universe I hate that race by the way that whatever uh, Shock T is although I do like Shock T I just think that that's a really ugly design. Uh. I, I mean, the best way I can put it is uh, is uh, Robot Chicken did this uh, did this spoof. And I always think of this because of just uh, the character of ah- Ahsoka. It's a it's a spoof of of Hillary Duff's Diary of Anne Frank. It is. Where it's, it's, like, it's like you put Hillary Duff in the Star Wars universe. Yes, yeah, so, or Lindsay Lohan or whoever is the flavor of the month. Yeah. Miley it's, Cyrus. I don't even know who, who's the it's flavor. Like, it's like. It's like let's take Star Wars and put in a little bit of iCarly. Oh fuck you! <laughs> That's what they did. <laughs> <laughs> and then they have the Jar Jar. Like, don't worry, he's smarter than he looks. Oh, oh, that no. is that is a travesty. The and, guy uh, who basically said they said was responsible for the whole war and the and the Empire taking over. Now we're gonna say that he's smarter than he looks. Fuck you. And. Uh, oh. Here's the thing uh, that I the problem that I wanted to mention regarding uh, this version of Clone Wars is that uh, they gave a lot of importance and you know uh, screen time to the clones. Uh, but and the thing is that uh, they gave them you know personalities and and they develop their characters and all that, which okay, there's a good part to that. The bad part to that is that they eventually gonna hear Order sixty six and they're gonna kill everyone. And you're trying to market this for kids. Yeah. You say people's like, gonna die? No, I mean every character in Clone Wars 
that yeah, in this series you're trying, because here's the thing, in the Gendry series, you were bridging two gaps and you know that it was going to end bad. And Gendy knew this, and that's why he didn't get that much close to the clones. Even though he made the ARC Troopers awesome. He made the ARC Troopers awesome, yes, but that's one of the things that I liked, because when eventually ARC Troopers take on Jedis, you can see that coming. These silent, deadly assassins, highly efficient killing machines. The only clone character that was in the Gendy series really was, was Cody, and he really didn't use Cody that much anyway. I know, that's the thing. But but that Meanwhile, made him awesome because because he never took off his helmet he never developed yeah. him other than he he's Commander Cody yeah. and he's awesome he leads the Arc yeah. Troopers yeah that's the thing the the bad thing about the other Clone Wars the CGI Clone Wars is that it, they're trying to make you care about them and I'm like why the fuck do we care if they're gonna throw all these character development they're biological the drones they're biological they're biological drones. As soon as you say Order 66, they forget everything. It's the same it's, mistake wait. that's done with Darth Vader in the prequel trilogy all over again. Because yeah. we know what's going to happen, and like we're expected to care about this character. And it just... They they really did the movie... I'm going to say it. They did the movies in the wrong order to do that kind of story. Because if we didn't see that coming, then we would actually care about Anakin a little more. Right. But I would still care if they had played it the same way that Gandhi did. Yeah. Gandhi did play it straight. They, he did knew what was coming. And ghost the thing hand, was that, like the scene in the cave. Yeah, that was right. incredible. The whole ghost hand, we, we've talked about this many times. Uh, all this, this foreshadowing, that's the thing, that they didn't make any actual foreshadowing in the prequels. I mean, it's like... A, I killed, I slaughtered them like animals. And I'm like, oh, it's okay. Oh, okay. Let's have sex. Let's have sex. It's like, I'm like, what? I mean, they don't. I tried that pickup line once and I got the police called on me. So don't, don't that, believe the movie's it kids. Kind of It kind of makes Padme look, look like a monster because she's hearing all these terrible things that Anakin's doing and she's just like, want to screw? You know, it's like, what the fuck? It actually reminds me of Betty Ross from from the Ultimates, where where she she watches a video of the Hulk eating the Kaiser, and she decides and, and, and she asks uh, Nick Fury if she can have conjugal visits with Bruce Banner. <laughs> this really uh, happened. Pablo has seen it. He will vouch for it. I I, I try to erase most of. Um, ultimates from my mind so i i'm, I'm not going to confirm nor deny anything uh, his memory uh, erased however when it comes to you know where again when they're trying to make this uh and the whole foreshadowing thing uh that's the thing i heard that episode three got entirely rewritten because it made no sense it, originally it had more other reasons many more reasons for Anakin to eventually turn into, you know, like a evil reflection of himself. But the thing was that at some point, uh, uh, Lucas saw this and said, this is not working. So he rewrote it and re-edited it into something where Padme was the reason why he was going into the dark side. Like he was doing it in order to save Padme. But then it, it didn't work even less because he basically took off all the cars that were under that part of the, you know, card palace. And, and that's why suddenly when he goes 
uh, you turned her against me, and uh, and then the lies, and then the force choking on Padme. Liar! And then, uh, yeah, all, all of that comes entirely out of the blue. It makes no sense except for Anakin being an idiot, an entirely unsympathetic idiot asshole villain mm-hmm. that only that this only happened because he had a nightmare. <laughs> It's like, hey, oh, well, I'm having a nightmare. What happens in that nightmare? Well, my, my girlfriend dies. Really? Wow, that sucks. You know what you do? Kill a bunch of children. That will make her feel better. And, <laughs> and, 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 he, and he doesn't question it at all. It's like, okay. Well, he wanted uh, the cape because the cape would be so wizard. Wait, wait. Children? I think you meant younglings. <laughs> <laughs> Watching Ewan McGregor say younglings and not laugh. If if you watch closely, you can see him Jungle. twinge a little. Like Ugh. I can't remember. I saw him kill younglings. <laughs> that's him. That's him forcing back the 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 vomit that's in. His he mouth. was he was using the force. <laughs> Even McGregor is a Jedi master. He was able to use the force to to force himself to say younglings. <laughs> oh, well, he but had to, to use the force to make himself care throughout the entire trilogy. <laughs> There were those paychecks, but uh, that's all I, But the, I think that's all the Star Wars cartoons. What do you guys think? I can't think of any. Well, yet. I do gotta make a mention regarding again uh, uh, tonal shifts and stuff on on Star Wars Clone Wars the CGI version. Uh, even though they they said like we're going with this art style for this and that, and we already talked about how they basically did Gendy's work wrong and stuff like that. The thing is that if you check the character designs, uh, I think it was starting on season three or so, uh, the proportions change entirely. <laughs> you know, the, the but, first season... Let me just say... The, 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 let me just hear say. me. In the first seasons, they look like Thunderbirds characters. And Lucas said, yeah, we meant that. And then in the third season, you'll realize they actually have real proportions, more accurate. They're not as big-headed as they were in the first seasons. Which, if if we're talking just about Ahsoka, we could say, oh yeah, she grew up or something. But no, because Anakin also gets a head reduction. All the characters get a head reduction. Well, well, let me let me just say right here the fact that you said the third season about a series that's supposed to be a piece of bridge media for between two movies where both movies already came out for like five years now. That in itself is a fail. It would be like it would be like me doing a a, 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 a TV series about uh, about the events between Star Trek three and Star Trek four. Like, OK, we know what happens in Star Trek four. They're in the bird of prey and they have to get back to Earth in Star Trek three. They had the bird of prey and took it to Vulcan. So it's like, let's say I want to make a whole TV series about it. it's like we're on season four of the series where 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 it's like. They're having all these adventures of this bird of prey and, and all this just like but but we have to eventually get back to Vulcan so they can start going back to Earth again. It's like it's like you're already painted in a corner. It, 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 it's like the reason why Boba Fett had to feel, fall back into the Starlight pit in that short story. <laughs> well uh, Am I, am I right also, or am I wrong? Yeah. Well, it's also it's also partly why why the Simpsons uh, uh, has already stayed for way too long except for the reasons we already discussed on, on this show uh, the whole uh ha, how's the thing uh 
if we counted the days that if each episode was a day, it's already been years. And Maggie's still a baby, and Bart and, and Lisa are still in the same year. <laughs> so it's it, I, I know we can sort of get away with that, but when it comes to a piece of bridge media, it's not working. Well, well I do look, have to give them props for fixing some stuff. You know, they reference some horribly horrid, uh, obscure stuff like, you know, Dark Mall's coming back to life with chicken feet. Uh, and they actually made it cool, which the the comic, it really failed at that. No, the comic had him shown properly as he should be. He's a punk and he died by Uncle Owen's hand because Uncle Owen is a badass. He watches the farm <laughs> with a gun. my property. And, and, and by the by the way, I was making, but but anyways, you know, I was, but uh, but uh, you know, I was making all those jokes about the, the the Star Trek adventures and the bird of prey between Star Trek three and Star Trek four. Mm-hmm. You want to know something that will actually make you scream? What? There were comics that actually did that. <laughs> there, they, yeah, they, they, there, there was there were the Enterprise crew having adventures on the bird of prey. And then they had to take the bird to bring back the Vulcan so they could go to Star Trek Four. This is a real thing. This happened. And, and yes, it is weird. It is awkward. You don't do that. That that's that's the problem. See, this is I this is this falls into the the same mistake of storytelling that I think a lot of prequels fall into is that people for some reason they want to play this fill in the blank game with like with canon, and you don't have to do that. It's like. What happened between this story and this story? Well, let's find out. What happened before the first adventure? Let's find out. How did Indiana Jones get his hat? We'll tell a story about that. It's, you don't tell stories about stuff like well, that. Well, that one wasn't too interesting. bad. That, actually, that wasn't too bad. Hey, imagine this. There's this whole story of how Indiana Jones got his hat. He walks into a store, says, oh, I like this hat, and then walks out. I, I know that, they're, that Disney is eventually going to do a movie that's like that. It's no, no, like they already did the movie. It was the beginning part of Last Crusade. It explained how he got his version of snakes, how he got the bullwhip, and how he got his hat. And he got the scar on his chin, all in one very quick story starring River Phoenix. But they'll, they'll, re, they'll, they'll do a relaunch, and they'll do a two-and-a-half-hour movie about it. And it'll be halfway through the movie, and he'll put a hat on, and he'll look in the mirror, and he'll be like, that looks rather nice. And, you know, and then at the very end of the movie, he'll get the whip. And then, but don't you agree that it's better that the way that it was actually done in last? It Crusade? was it was better, but what I'm saying is that nowadays they would make a whole two and a half hour movie about it, and it, they'd get all the way to the end of the movie, and it would be Indy. Indy would get the whip, and they'd be like, "Indy, you you got to jump across this 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 uh this big fissure." He's like, "How do I get across?" And he sees like this one thing that he can he can whip and swing across, and it, you have the the big dramatic music as he goes across as he learns to use the whip. Yeah, only it won't be that they'll 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 get rid of the the John Williams theme and like put something else in there that's totally lifeless. Asinine. Yeah, totally asinine. And then the very next movie, it'll be the indie that we all know, kind of like what they did with Superman. It's like let's do a movie where Superman is not Superman. So that the sequel can be a real Superman movie. Fuck you. I'll teach you to touch with my the best with my mother. Yeah, it's like <laughs> let's do an Indiana Jones movie that isn't Indiana Jones, so that the next movie can be the real one. Well, if you want the literal interpretation of that, that's Amazing Spider-Man and Amazing Spider-Man Two. That too. The that's how. Second that's movie. How... Old costume is back. Yeah, the, the Raimi costume is back. 
that's how all action franchises are done now. The first movie is like the origin story that goes on way too long, and it does the character doesn't even become recognizable until the last ten minutes of the movie. That's not true. Die Hard. Well, yeah, but you're talking about an exception. One of the best damn exceptions out there. But I'm talking about movies that are made today. Die Hard, which was written based off a book, which was a sequel to another book that was the sequel to a movie that had that had Frank Sinatra playing the lead role. Mm. So, so if you think about it, Bruce Willis and Frank Sinatra are playing the same character. That's that is wild. Well, you know why Die Hard Three has this more little weapon vibe, right? It's a rejected script. <laughs> Yeah, Die Hard 3 was originally a script that didn't even star John McClane called it, called Simon Says about a about a detective and like a criminal that were like childhood friends and now they have to go against each other in this game of Simon Says. It was like Saw without the without the torture porn. And what happened was the studio has like in the first time I've ever heard of studio heads making a good decision they're like yeah, let's turn this into Die Hard. Let's get Jeremy Irons and call it a movie. There we go. Done. <laughs> That's the first and only time I've ever heard of executive meddling making something better. Agreed? Yeah. That's another the... movie that gets a lot of hate, and I don't understand why. Do I like Puerto I... Rican to you? <laughs> That's actually, I actually kind of like that movie. I love Die Hard with a Vengeance. <laughs> like I said, that's the only time I've ever heard of executive meddling working. Yeah. <laughs> it's like... Yeah, let's cut out this whole childhood friend bullshit. Let's get let's get John McClane back. Make this a Die Hard movie. Yeah, let's get Jeremy Irons and Samuel L. Samuel L. Yeah, <laughs> it's like all the Biden numbers decisions were right for a change. <laughs> and it's like, how does this happen? Like it's like a broken clock is right twice. But anyways, uh, back to Star Wars. I think we covered the Star Wars cartoons quite aptly. And you don't well, want to do detours. Don't want to do the Family Guy ones? <laughs> Those do not exist. <laughs> this is your host, Ben. We're TV's Mr. Daniel. <laughs> and Paolo Prino. And we're saying goodnight. May the Night. force be with you. <laughs> what a world, what a world, what a world. You got the Through to DVD pod blast. Such a All right, you already know this, but it's episode two tonight. Woo! Star Wars episode <laughs> two, that is. And the crowd goes... As opposed hey. to the other episode twos. <laughs> I so demand satisfaction. I demand a funny voice <laughs> during the crawl. I wonder where we're at. This is our last one, people. It is, isn't it? Oh, that's where we're at. The other ones were good. <laughs> a long uh. time ago in a galaxy. Hmm. Star Wars. I'm so happy that DarrenTMangler.com.org.net info is gone, I get to sit on the big boy's couch. Oh. I'm not on the uh, nerd couch over here anymore. <laughs> Episode 2, Attack of the Clones! <laughs> We're gonna be so attacking on what the pods! <laughs> There's a resident galactic apples! <laughs> Several thousand solar systems have declared their intention to leave the Republic. <laughs> Senator! <laughs> Senator Amadala! <laughs> the former queen 
done. Or dot. You know what? That ain't right. That was the best picture pages I think I've ever seen. Wow. Neil, you should be happy to know that Dostian is pretty much on the front page of Comic Genesis every time you load it. Really? Yeah. Because because all the pogs don't even show up anymore. Only like, you know, two and that. Yeah, one, two, three, four. Oh my god, it's not even filling up the front page. Usually there's like a whole bottom row there. There's like four empty spaces when I just went there. Yeah, right I, they only show the comics that are updating. Yeah. That's why. Yeah, so I, I think this so, is a sign that Comic Genesis is kind of... Uh, dead? Yeah, probably. Of course, I keep it because uh, I have my URL tied to it. I'm Dave. I'm Dave. <laughs> but my, my joke was like, how many scenes can I put this character in where he just says the same thing? <laughs> I'm Dave. What are these other comics? I don't recognize any of these except for like Victory. What's the other thing with a V? Victory Comic. These are both for Victory Comic. So there's two Vs. Yeah. Well, there's one for Victory Comic. You see the other guy, the flying guy. That's also Victory Comic. <laughs> so deal. You're wow. thinking well, if I could make like ten Dossie and Pet. Yeah, I, I could I could make a bunch of pogs and I'd be all over the front page. <laughs> it'd be it'd be to see in Genesis. <laughs> oh, that Bobby Crosby. I'm sure that would burn his ass. Like, what the fuck? Well, he doesn't care about comic Genesis. All he cares about is his movie deals. Yeah, awesome. I yeah. read that. Yeah, his movie deals. You know, after uh, after Cowboys and Aliens, I don't think he's going to get a, a movie deal. Not only Cowboys and Aliens, but uh, what, what was that? What was that video game one? It was uh, Scott Pilgrim. Yeah, Scott Pilgrim. Like Scott Pilgrim and Cowboys and Aliens, which both tanks. So, and this is this is the environment that that Bobby Crosby thinks he's going to sell like a a web comic movie deal. Yeah, right. Wow, this comic vine is is. I'm just reading some of the powers they list. Powers, attractive female. <laughs> Is that what? really a power anymore? Not really. I mean, if it was, uh, I have the most powerful character of all. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I see your point. I definitely see your point, but I would love to see your, yeah, powers. Attractive female, that's a listed power in Comic Vine. Like, I looked at Big Barda. Powers, attractive female. Let's see what, what other ones. Uh, power Girl, let, let, I wonder what it's going to list as, as her first power. Powers, attractive female. This is good. Okay, let's see here. Black Canary. What, what, Neil, what's her first power? Attractive female. <laughs> I'm not looking at what you're looking at. I'm just no. Guessing. First is agility, and then attractive female. <laughs> <laughs> Huntress guesses attractive female first. Agility, agility. then agility. So agility uh, is uh, a top priority over attractive females. I mean that's a. Uh, at- a top skill or something, or it's just the order, you know, how attractive they are. Because if that's the point, then uh, Power Girl uh, is a more attractive female than both Huntress and Black Canary. I think Black Canary is a little bit more attractive than than the Power Girl, personally. But let's see, Wonder Woman, attractive female, insanely rich is a power listed here too. 
Well, uh, given that we have characters like uh, Bruce Wayne and Tony Stark, uh, yeah, being rich is a superpower. Actually, they, they actually pitch a series about that. I, I still understand how how that works, but, uh, you know, there's, uh, what is it, the 1% or something? The Green Gang? or There's, there's this weird sort of Occupy Wall Street-based uh, comic books. Oh. That DC Neil Atley, what's her first power? Um, I'm guessing agility. Attractive female. Ah, I, I think we're not getting what 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 uh, what powers are. I mean, I mean, Atley Atley actually has a, has a defined power. She's the new Terra. Yeah. Then it's Earth manipulation. Then it's unarmed combat. I mean, I think everyone has unarmed combat listed here. Shouldn't shouldn't Earth manipulation be her first listed power? I don't know. Let me look. Fire. I mean, that's, I'm I'm just saying that's kind of the point of the character. Yeah. Her name's Terra, after all. Yeah. Okay. Fire. What's her first power? Fire kinetics. Attractive female. I can't argue much with that one though. Vixen. What's her first power? She's a supermodel, attractive female. Adaptive, agility, animal control, attractive female. Really? I, I don't understand how they're listing this at all. Alphabetically. Oh. Okay. Okay, now that makes sense. But don't you just have this problem that it's always attractive female, attractive female. I, I don't think there's a single female comic book character that they aren't going to put that in there. I think the yeah. question is, is there a superpower that is attractive male? Let me check. It's like they couldn't say beautiful female because then... It would it would be like secondary to every other power that starts with A. So it's like it's like people who oh attractive male is a listed power. Who has that power? It's like people start their business name with A just so they're the first ones in the phone book. The gay ghost is an attractive male according to this. The gay ghost. Yeah. That's an actual character. Yes. Gay as in happy or gay as in gay. He was created in the forties. So he's Flintstones gay. <laughs> Mm, we can't be entirely sure about that. But anyways, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a... Uh, yeah, I, I'm kind of curious, because like I said, I have all these other side characters that, uh, you know, the the Knight and Ultra are these two characters I sort of have set in stone, but even then I still I still tweak the Knight's design. Ultra I haven't tweaked in years, but... Because uh, you, say, you say Ultra is my most polished design, and I'm actually really really happy to hear that from me because that's high praise that I've never heard anyone say about Ultra because everyone else says it's a t-shirt. Well, for me, you have to remember that I put my villain sort of in a t-shirt. Yes. So I'm not going to say anything about that. Oh. Sure. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um. Angel. Angel. What's that song from? Don't you hate it when you have a song stuck in your head and you don't know enough of the lyrics to Google it? Well, it's either Angel or Angie. And there's like a hundred songs with the with the word Angel in it. Okay, let's see here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Superman doesn't have good villains. 
is this article I'm reading Comic Vine, and the first one they bring up to, to dispute that is Lobo. I think this guy's actually retarded. Superman has good villains. Lobo. It's like, okay, you just lost. I, don't I believe Superman Lobo. does have a good villains. Uh, I wouldn't list Lobo among them at all. Okay, it's actually listing some good ones like Brainiac. Okay, now we're getting somewhere. Okay, and I don't know why people keep saying that Lex Luthor isn't a good villain. Okay, Bizarro. They're listing Bizarro as a good villain. It's like, no, we saw that. They tried that in Superman Four. It didn't work. <laughs> oh, they're saying for a movie. Recast him. Yeah. You remember Neil? Yeah, I remember that. They list Mixel, Mr. Mixel Spick like, no, that's not going to work in a movie. Agreed? An animated movie would be good. Yeah, but that's not going to work in a movie movie. I know. Because no one will get it because they're like, they're like, where's the city being destroyed and no one caring? <laughs> what is this little Keebler elf looking guy? What? Why is he a bad, why is he in this movie? <laughs> it's like Lobo has more legit than that, but no, no Lobo. Bring back Sheriff Lobo. Jerry Lobo. So who's looking forward to the Wolverine? Uh, I heard it's not a prequel, that it's actually a sequel to The Last Stand. It is. Oh, wow. That sort of pumped my interest a little bit compared to what I was expecting. Yeah. It makes no sense at all, but still. I kind of like that idea. You know, here, here's Wolverine. He's like, everything he's loved is dead. And now he's like wandering around. He wants to die. Here's this rich Japanese guy who says, I can make it to so where he can die. And then all of a sudden, here he needs, he, he takes it and then he loses his healing. But then he needs it again. And he needs to figure out what he needs to do and what he wants to be. And like, I like it. Uh, besides, the fact that it's not a prequel would actually let them do shit. Silver that's... Samurai. Yeah, that it's not trying to, you know, just fill in a gap and then force lots of things down. And, the then, and then you have to make sure the bird of prey is back on Vulcan so they can get to the next movie. Yeah, exactly. Hey, it's the comics exist, Neil. I know. So, so uh, Pablo, uh, what was the best character design I did for my superhero characters? What was what what was your favorite out of all of them? Mm, let me think. Because, for instance, I know you had way more characters in Point Guardian. Yes. Uh, and I don't recall all of their names. And I know that, for instance, the first pages, they weren't the top of your game. So I, I can say, uh, if I could see like a, a more recent interpretation of the same designs, uh, if I would be more fond of them. For instance... Uh, I like the, your supervillains team. That's basically Wolverine and Spider-Man and I so the rabbit Hank Hogan, the the uh, sneaky spy guy, and uh, and the mighty Kerplunk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, who is who is a team of an Australian with nanites in his body that rebuilds his body constantly. A, uh, a super smart scientist that that has powers that let him sneak around, and a uh, and a Ukrainian with with metal skin. I I can't believe I did that. I actually feel really embarrassed that I did that. That's funny though. 
so, well, let me think. <laughs> I think that when it comes to the most recent designs that I, I, I can recall at the moment, um, one of the designs for the Majestic Knight uh, I'm pretty fond of, and then there's a, a well ultra design. I like it because it's simple and super heroic, and I like the you know the lenses. Really, most people don't like most people don't like uh, ultras design because because they're like it's a t-shirt, and I'm like that's the point, and and they're like no, I don't like it because it's a t-shirt. Yeah, those are the same <laughs> new Superboy fanboys, right? Yeah. They would go, yeah, he's, now he's better because he's wearing a T-shirt. He has attitude and stuff. But 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 the whole point of of, of, of Ultra's design, where he has a costume with a T-shirt, was it's supposed to be like a, a a you know a costume you can understand as you know this is something that someone can actually put together and stuff versus this whole. Uh... Yeah, that 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 was sort of the same basic idea that I had when I designed Collision. Uh, because he he was originally supposed to be made for a feature film, a live action feature film, so I can I I couldn't afford because this was me at the age of nineteen twenty, uh, so I I I couldn't afford you know I, my my mind just wouldn't grasp the co the whole concept of for instance of cosplaying or stuff like that, so I, I went with a very down to earth design. So it was you know just this bandana and a t-shirt and a long coat and boots and some gloves, and that would be it. Uh, so I'm I'm pretty fond of you know uh, makeshift superhero designs, uh, but then again I, one of the things that I like most of when it comes to ultra again it's sort of also the the color scheme you like because the blue and white yeah i do like the blue and white which most people hate for some reason i don't understand that for instance when i when i did miss you i actually uh, made different color schemes for people to pick uh, which one they liked and as an in joke one of the designs had you know the uruguayan co uh, colors from the flag you know yellow, white, and blue, and that's the one that people hated, and they, they really didn't want uh, with those colors, even though I didn't make it, you know, like, way too obvious as to what the color scheme was, uh, people didn't like it, but I also discovered that there are very few yellow superheroes in in most of the comic world, they're like the 10% of the whole uh, costumed heroes percentage they most of them don't have yellow and i actually i think i believe i read somewhere that uh, when they were going to do you know power rangers the the reason the the yellow ranger is a dude in japan and a girl in the united states is because apparently no male actor wanted to t have a part with a yellow ranger what, what what is it with yellow? Actually, Pablo never drew any of my superhero characters. He drew new concepts of them because he didn't agree with the costume designs I did, but he never really drew any of my superhero characters ever. <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh, wait, wait a second. There you go. Uh, mostly when it came to Majestic Knight, that's when we did some of the design concepts. Yes, but... Uh, I kind of disagreed with it, though. I thought it was not right. Yeah, I know. You also told me it looked too much uh, like another character of yours that wasn't around. Yes. Yes. But, uh, like I said, I just thought it was, you know, I just thought, uh, because the, the funny thing is uh, another guy I know, Red Ink, 
who does another webcomic, Coyote Dance. He actually, that's one that Isako also briefly drew as well. Uh, Red Ink kept on telling me that he liked the concept. He liked elements of the costume, but he told me I keep, I should stop, you know, using my real world knowledge of, of metals and armor and material science when I design superhero costumes. He told me I should stop doing that. And I told him I can't unlearn that. Once I know that, I can't unlearn that. Well, if you want to unlearn stuff, I was actually involved in the design of a live-action superheroing uh, costume for a TV ad uh, that's airing just now, and I can link you to it. Um, the thing is that uh, I, I, I sort of went through, you know, this uh, editorial mandates only, you know, agency mandates and client mandates, you know, I had to compromise too much. It's something that started out as a as a sort of Catwoman spoof TV ad, and then uh, they started, you know, uh, making different uh, adjustments to it, and eventually uh, deformed the original Catwoman design that I was working on into something that's a little bit more raunchy than I would have liked. Ah, <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll show you. Uh, let's see. I, I, I knew I I watched it recently. It was like seconds ago. It, it has to be like in my in a playlist. Ah, oh, here it is. Ah, and the thing is uh, that you know it originally started as a with a Catwoman concept, and then the client said, oh, but we're actually like a loans company. Uh, we, we shouldn't have, you know, like a thief breaking in the, the offices and all that. People wouldn't trust us on that. Uh, so they sort of changed the character into a more of a... a you, designed this, you, de you designed this costume? Uh, the one that designed the uh, costume was, you know, there, there's a costume designer in charge for this TV ad. Uh, but since I was a storyboard artist and I'm good friends with the director, uh, he told me to help with the design. And we started out, you know, just trying to make our perfect Catwoman costume. But then, you know, there were some requirements like the fabrics and the colors because of the, you know, the branding Brand. and stuff. Um, but the thing is that after we handed that in, they want to know we're we're using this famous actress here, so we gotta show who she is. It's like, oh, okay, then we'll just put a black cat sort of mask on her. Uh, but then they want, oh yeah, but they want more sexy. And it's like she has a huge cleavage. You you sure don't want you want more sexy? But how? It's like yeah, she has to show more skin. So cut some holes on the sides. And I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's like. Yeah, no, that's perfect. And I'm like, what? And <laughs> <laughs> um, and the thing was, it, it's real fun so, because so, so I was simple to the director, the, and, and he simple. was so happy because originally he, she did all of this with you know the Catwoman whip, uh, but then it sort of had to mutate into this weird uh, laser beam stuff thingy. Uh, and of course, all the other characters are all played by the same guy. Because these two are like uh, personalities, celebrities down here. <laughs> uh, I had the storyboard for this, and probably the the concept designs of the suit with all the different stages. But as you can see, you know, like uh, 
like a train crashing in slow motion. <laughs> oh my goodness, Pablo, you are actually far more famous than I thought you were. I'm not famous, and nobody knows I did this, and I'm not exactly saying it out loud because, well, uh, it's not the way that neither the director or I wanted to go with. <laughs> well, what, what do you say, Neil? What, what, what's your favorite of these superhero designs I did? Um, yeah, I'm gonna go with what Pablo said that Ultra probably is just because it, it is the most uh, unique. Mm. But what happens if you include the knights design in all the superhero designs I ever did? Well, where where would the ranks be? Because it's actually funny. The knight is the oldest character I created. Hmm. I don't know. Because I think I think with the knight there's like a very there, there's you're allowed to kind, say it. There's kind of a, a temptation to compare him to Batman. The, the, you're allowed <laughs> to say you are allowed to say it. Okay. Yeah, because he does kind of remind me of Batman. He's distinct from Batman, but he it does have that. Uh, it does draw the mind to that character. Of course, uh, it, it also it also doesn't it, it also doesn't help that there's a uh, a Victor Freeze parody in the same page. <laughs> that wasn't mine, by the I way. I know it wasn't yours. I, I heard you were. You told me once that you were planning on a new miniseries for Majestic Knight. I am tr- I am trying. It's just it's just because every time I write a script, it's uh, I have two people tell me it's great, and one person tell me, "Oh, this is terrible, Ben. Why are you writing like this?" And I'm saying because I want to write like an interesting prologue that gets people interested in edge on their seat. And like that's a terrible idea. Where'd you get that from? I'm like, yeah, that's how like some of the best movies do it. Like an interesting prologue get you on the edge of the seat. And he's like, no, that's a terrible lesson, Ben. Don't do that. Uh, you know what's the first, uh, one of the first rules in writing that I keep reading in most of the writing tutorials? What? There's no rules in writing. Right. Yeah. Seriously. Uh, I mean, uh, in general, when it comes to art, do it any way you want it. If people hate it, okay, they'll hate it. You, you'll, you know, sort of do some research on that. You'll learn by failing, you know, spectacular failures. Just like, so what didn't work here? Oh, I didn't like it because of this. It didn't work for me because of that. And then you go, okay, should I do this again? Would I do it the same way? Would I do it in a different way? And then you try again and do a different thing. And you, you know, just keep moving forward. Do it any way you want it. That's the way we need it. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but yeah, this is the knight's latest costume. His original costume had these spikes that came out of the elbows and stuff that I that I sort of toned down big time as I kept on refining the costume. But the knight, I think, is I still like the costume. I like the cape that has the three points at the back of it. I think that looks cool because I've never seen a cape like that before. That's where Paul was supposed to say. Well, technically, there's, there's such and such cape. But... I'm not gonna say it. <laughs> You're gonna say it. No, I'm not gonna say it. Besides the, it, I haven't seen any iconic capes that stick around like that. The sort of the three-pointed capes only show up when someone's redesigning a certain character for a certain incarnation, and it's gone by the next incarnation. I have no idea what you just said. Usually, uh, if a character has like a standard cape, some artists are like, no, I'm gonna do it in a different way for my take on it and and then another artist comes after them and, and says oh this tree thing i i don't like it i like more the standard cape and then they go back to the standard cape uh, so it usually only lasts like uh, one volume or something like that and and then 
this sort of stylistic capes disappear. Mm. Well, the, this the style cape has been with the knight since I created him. He always had the three point back cape. Oh, uh, the character I sent you—that's a, a new drawing of my first superhero character that I ever did. Uh, it's a, it was sort of a. Is that a bat or a sword? It's actually a bat. Okay. Yeah, but it's a, it's a, it's not exactly a bat, and it's not a sword. It's a. It's a blunt instrument. It's like a yeah. It's a flat. Uh, it's like a flat bat. You know, it's sort, it's like a or cricket sort bat. of like, it's a cricket bat. Kinda, yeah. <laughs> it's sort of a cricket bat. Because the sad, sad story behind that was that uh, this was like a makeshift superhero I did as a kid and And the, his parents were killed in a tragic cricket accident, so it became cricket nah. man. <laughs> no, but uh, he did have uh, uh I, I made the characters from stuff I had lying around and one of the things that I had was this uh like uh, a shoehorn? It's a tool to let you, you know, put on your shoes. It's a shoehorn. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. It is a shoehorn. It's a huge shoehorn now. I have one and, of those, too. He's shoehorn and it, man. And, and the name, which is Corcel, uh, which means something like, you know, stallion or steed, uh, it's because on the back of that shoehorn, <laughs> is it, is it, it had a, the head of a horse. I was like, oh, cool. And so, even though this is a, like a reimagining, and I added some elements from other, uh, mostly Kamen Rider <laughs> things, uh, and a bit of Protoman looks like. <laughs> but yeah. the thing, the thing is that uh, I, I still wanted to keep, the, you know, because the, it, it seemed like a, it's a weird weapon, you know, this blunt object, this <laughs> giant shoe. It's shoehorn man. <laughs> And given that, you know, I kept Shultz him as a kid. Able to slip on the the tightest loafers in a single sitting. <laughs> yeah. All right. Dog again. <laughs> There's that dog again. There's that bear again. It's, I love that skit. I, I think everyone loved it. That was, that was one of the greatest Animaniacs ever. There's that bear again. That was like that was like a dig on some nature show. Uh, Mutual of Omaha. Yeah. Mutual of Omaha. There's that bear again. Hey, uh, Neil, have you ever had a Juicy Lucy? Uh, I'm afraid to answer that question. No, don't be. No. It's a burger that's built to where it's two patties, but you fuse them together. And what you do is you put some cheese in the middle, some sliced cheese in the middle, and you, like, yeah. crimp them together, and then you cook it. So you have, like, this big patty, and when you bite into it, you have, like, cheese oozing out. Ooh, that sounds that sounds very unhealthy and good at the same time. It's called a Juicy Lucy because when it was first made, the guy who first bought it said, man, that's one Juicy Lucy. And the name stuck. <laughs> yes. That's how it happened. Yes. Oh... <laughs> uh... Pablo, would you eat the heart attack grill someday? Pablo, would you eat a juicy Lucy? I haven't. Would you? I probably would. <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, yeah, the, you know, Neil changed Dossian. Do you like Dossian's first or second costume, Pablo? Um, I I, 
Wait a second. The problem is I, I believe I, I made the costumes in, not in chronological order. <laughs> the red costume is the first costume. The black yeah. costume is the second costume. Yeah, that's the thing. The first time I saw Dacian, I saw her on... Wait, wait. Crossover Lord. In Crossover Lord, yes, exactly, with the black costume. And then I made the red costume. Yeah. Um, there, you, you guys did a comment once about the bunny suit, the bunny outfit or something like that. Yeah. Um, hmm. I, I think the black one stuck uh, with me the most. Even like though the... I'm a big fan of red, I think it's the... Uh, I, I think the red one... I, the red one is more generic compared yeah. to the black one. It has more details in it, you know, with the... Because the, the red, red one, the red one's pretty much a red leotard with gloves and boots and... Yeah, with Captain America boots and... Pirate yeah. boots. They're pirate boots, Neil. Well, so it, it it doesn't, you know, like have like a logo or something. So it's more, you, you could call the character pretty much anything and it wouldn't do much except for, well, you know. Actually, it's it's something a bit more of the Crimson Gestalt thing, maybe. <laughs> because, you know, it's red. <laughs> yeah, that, that's uh, another reason why I switched the colors because it, well, actually, no. Now with the with the black one, she kind of looks more like them now. Yeah, that's a. <laughs> but but it's like, it's the same the... color. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I have a. I think I have something to show you, Ben. Show me. Show you. Kiko man, Kiko man. The. You do have to keep in mind, though. That the only reason this exists is because you ask for it, and <laughs> also that it's uh, because here's the thing: it's a uh, it was like the sole idea behind this design was uh, not make it the same. No, that's <laughs> no, fine. Just, it's different for the sake of being different. So that's what you're pretty much going to get for some of the things. Uh, and also, you know, the get a different silhouette thing as well. Okay. I, I like Ariette more than the Miss You, by the way. What? Sorry? I like Ariette more than Miss You, by the way. Yeah, you told me. But there, there's also a reason behind that. Do, do you want me to spoil you all my secret files and origins? There's a reason why I like Ariette more than Miss You that I don't know, but you will. You do? Yeah. Neil, Neil, do you like, which one do you like more, Ariette or Miss You? Ariette is the one in purple, Miss You is the one that's flying. Miss You. (laughs) It fits my build perfectly. It's all part of my master plan. Anyways, show me this art. Here it goes. Uh, Divine redesign. Because you not like Ariette, the, the, the leotard and the leggings and the. There's two versions of Ariette's costume, dude. Oh, I like this. I one. believe I believe Neil knows mostly the the one with the pants. That would probably yeah. be one of the reasons why he's more fond of Miss You. Yeah, yeah. I don't I don't know of the other design. That, did you see the filmation version? You don't get to see her in the the full outfit, though. 
would you get to see the face that's mostly Pablo did Gordon? Yeah, people, you know, yeah, Pablo did basically a filmation style animation of Miss You. <laughs> so there's like only about 12 frames. And the head falls off the screen. Yeah. yeah. You saw it then. Hey, that's not, that's I haven't not, seen that's... it. I just know filmation. <laughs> but yeah, it's a. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, that's divine. That that's that's uh, the defender's design. Do you think the defender could use an update on his design? Entirely up to you for that department. Mm. You don't you don't seem interested in. I I see. I still have ten more panels to go, plus five <laughs> more comic book pages. That's fair I, enough. I, that's I did yours enough. in a very open, quick thingy. I love it too. But yeah, we we can talk about this later because I value I value your your creative input because because you're published. I'm not. I'm published. Uh, but it, it's not really that important because there's thousands of reasons why I was published, where I was published, and why I was published. So, and it it's not all, you know, talent related there's a lot of there's more social skills than and actually you know taking lips than actually being that talented i mean come on we it, it's an industry where rob liefeld is a millionaire that's true keep that in mind you're not rob liefeld though hmm. i sort of wish i was if you <laughs> ask me though <laughs> it's like yeah mephisto shows up and says Pablo Prino, I have a proposition for you. I will make you a millionaire and a comic book superstar. In exchange, you shall never draw feet again. Nor anatomic that's even remotely close to a human being. Would you take it or wouldn't you? Seriously, you're not really considering this? You know, no. <laughs> millions of dollars are hands and feet. No, I would never take that. <laughs> Because uh, you know, because unlike people that I've known that will remain nameless, being famous is not the most important thing in my life. Mm-hmm. I don't care about fame. I do care about money, though. I do care about. Actually, I really don't care about money that much either, because I have more than I know what to do with right now. I'm very happy for you. I wish I could say the same and then dedicate myself to my personal projects and all of them, and just that. But for the time being, you know, trying to afford a house and stuff like that, sort of taking a small priority. <sighs> well, you know what, Pablo? I would actually pay for you to visit me if you wanted to visit and see what the U.S. is like. And what? Sorry. I would actually, pay, I would actually help fund you visiting me if you wanted to. You know, come hmm. to the U.S. We'll go to a convention together, have fun. I wouldn't think that would be fair. I, I'd rather, you know, I'm trying to make a trip to San Diego Comic-Con in 2015 with a friend. But if, they... I, if I do arrange all of that, we could try to meet up there, maybe. Okay. <laughs> um, I, I had my my own... Well, since, since you were talking about today, you know, the whole being published thing and all of that, uh, my history when it comes to being published and stuff like that, it's... It's weird, and, I, and now I, I'm actually giving advice to people that are coming to me to get published. It's so weird. Uh, and, and I'm not talking students of mine, which I am helping. I'm talking people like, oh, my, 
this guy told me you're good at this thing, so I, I, I want you to take a look at my manga. At the moment they say that, I'm like, oh my god, this is going to be rough, huh? It's, this is going to be a bumpy ride. It, yeah, and the thing is, I, I've tried to perfect the the this most kind way possible to to explain someone that they're not going to end up publishing in Japan, for instance. Japan! Uh, that, that's, that's one of the things, Jess, and, and also trying, you know, I'm not trying to just tell them, you suck, and go hell, and that's it. I, I actually do try to give them advice, I do try to say to people what they're doing right, what they're doing wrong, uh, and there's people that, I, it's so weird to, to make them understand what, where they're standing, it's so weird, especially, you know, in Uruguay, <laughs> um, and the people with the skills they come around and the, the the sort of problems they have and they don't even have the fine style. Uh, I, I've seen people that are great that I have asked for advice. But these days I'm dealing with like 14 year olds that won't. I think they saw Bakuman and said, "Oh, I can be a manga artist too." and and well, that's where they ended up. And so you do know uh, you're the the first person that ever came to me and told me to actually make a comic, you know, a serious comic, for a while, you know, for an actual period you mean of time. Hero, you just... mean Hero Academy? Yeah, Hero Academy was my, my my first comic gig where I actually had to learn how to, you know, actually make an actual comic base. So, so it's thanks to me. Is, so it's th- it's so technically it's thanks to me that you are well known as, as in, in comics. Yeah, pretty much. I told you, I, I I've been, I even though I did make some comics that had, uh, you know, they, they were always you know indoor stuff. I never made stuff for someone else. It was all you know personal stuff. Uh, but you were the first to actually ask me to make an actual comic instead of you know pinups or stuff like that. So that that was like a, a baptism by fire. Uh, um, and then it came then the, the other thing that I had was that I found out about you know the gold digger animals uh, and the swimsuit specials, and <laughs> I wanted to make a I wanted to make a comic for them. And the thing was that I I tried to I wanted to ink it, uh, you know, because uh, in Hero Academy I had worked with pencils mostly at first. Uh, so I tried to make a, an inked comic that actually got published, but everything that could go wrong with that comic happened. It was a great lesson. One of the things that that really in, that really seems to get people interested about Hero Academy is the fact that it was two artists drawing it. You know, one drew it. You know, Aisaka drew through one day and Pablo through another day, and that seems to actually make more people interested in it than than everything else, the story, everything else. They're like, I like this idea that there's two artists working on it that are doing alternating days. And it, it, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not joking. That seems to be like, oh my god, this is a great idea. <laughs> what What do you think, Neil? Do you think that that's kind of interesting? Or yeah, is I it think it good? is because the the two styles certainly did complement each other. Not at first, oddly enough. It, it was a lot of it was a lot of those two guys, you know, Pablo and Aisaku, like trying to like communicate and 
working together and figuring out which one has to draw up and which one has to draw down and like it's sort of like trunks and goten figuring out fusion uh <laughs> yeah we, we we did get some of the you know the chubby versions of the fusion many times at first. <laughs> But by, by the end of it, we we were very happy and comfortable with what we. They could what they could doing. even do they could even do Super Saiyan three. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just skipping two and all of those. <laughs> <laughs> it frustrated Brigitte a lot. It's like you too. We're like ah. Oh. But, but yeah, it was it was actually amazing and and. Uh, that's the one thing that's like making Ian really seriously consider this because he likes that idea of, of two artists like working in unison and he wants to try that. So he hasn't said yes yet, but you know, honestly, you know, Kim, it, it, Kim would work out, I think, because Kim is showing he does have artistic muscle. Yeah. Again, uh, he's got great talent. He just didn't mind that. That's, uh, that's one of the things that the, the many things that helped me be, make a, turn into a better comic artist. First, it was Manuel Facal. He he's the director of Aturas 2 and also he's also a comic book artist, a very independent one. He has a more sort of Robert Robert Crumb style to his art. And and one of the things that that he did was he he had a fanzine. He had a self-published magazine and he told me and I had this small strip called the Psycho Cadet, and he told me to publish it. He was the first one to ever publish any of my material, and and that went, and that was one of the first things that got me into you know actually drawing comics. Mm. Uh, then, well, Hero Academy, of course. Then film school. Then the the Gold Digger specials. My attempts to get better at it, and and then there was. Uh, you know, my, my attempt at a portfolio review uh, in Rosario two years ago, uh, where I, I had my portfolio be reviewed by Rizzo, first by C.B. Sebolsky, you know, the Marvel's talent hunter. Uh, but he didn't give me any review. I mean, you just left your your portfolio, and then if you got your portfolio back, then you weren't in. If you didn't get it back, then you had an interview the day after that. Uh, and I didn't make it in, so I went for Rizzo and said, hey, uh, would you mind giving me an honest opinion about this and that? Um, and he, you know, gave me a lot of tips on that and also on not caring that much about style, but mostly on storytelling. And um, He gave me some great tips and he turned me up a new one when it came to, you know, my, my confidence in my art. Well, that happens. Uh, so let, let me tell you a story that he, I think... He ended up saying, hey, I won't tell you to stay in comics or get off of comics, but it's entirely up to you and you got to, you know, step up and make it happen. Yeah. And uh, I, I kept trying after that. Uh, on the same convention, I had Renato Guedes, who was the artist on, on Superman. He was friends with uh, with Matias Soto, whom I worked as an inker for a while. Uh, and he told me that my, my cartoony stuff float better than my most realistic stuff. So I, I started to focus more on my cartoony style, per se. And then I worked for almost a year, as a, half a year, as an assistant for, for Matias on Deuces Wild. I learned basic inking skills, 
knew that I didn't want to make the same stuff he did. And then that's when you, uh, you and Isaac insisted on getting back at it. So that that was pretty much the whole comic book thumb trip. Mm. Oh, and then there was this whole self-publishing thing where I finally started to get serious as an editor. And ah, well, uh, let me tell you a story that uh, Wayne Howard, I, 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 my my mentor Wayne Howard, the uh, <coughs> sweetest. Oh, oh, oh and. Uh, I forgot, uh, and also when Pao told me to to send my my samples to for the Marvel sketch cards, uh, up to that point I I, I was highly skeptical about it, very nervous, and and she said, "Go do it." I did it, and just because she told me so, because I'm a big uh, pussy whipped guy, and and then uh, that was quite a big turning point, you know. Yeah. But let me, let me say, no, oh, this is fine. <laughs> but let me, let me tell you what uh, what uh, a story about uh, about uh, you know that uh, Wayne Howard, you know, I I I, I never liked Ed McGinnis's artwork personally, never did. And I showed I showed uh, Wayne some of Ed McGinnis's Superman works, and Wayne said to me something that really shocked me. Wayne said to me that if if this kind of art was given to like Wally Wood, who was his mentor. Wally would just close the portfolio and then hand it back and say, "Learn how to draw." Hmm. Well, that goes for many of the artists nowadays. <laughs> and I, that, 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 that that just took me aback. But Wayne also said that uh, you know when I showed Wayne Mega Tokyo, Wayne said to me, "If this was the quality expected of me, I could draw four pages a day." <laughs> Which which was like boom because because that sort of shattered my belief that that you know that you know there was a certain level of that there was a, the same level of care that was in the you know that was in in web comics as regular comics and he sort of shattered that with just that one thing by saying nope this this is this is pretty much crap Ben and. <laughs> Because Wayne always told me that he always drew one page a day, one page a day. It doesn't matter if uh, he was if it was Thanksgiving, he drew one page a day, penciled and inked every day, one page a day, one page a day, one page a day. That's what it took to get good, in his opinion. And he told me that, and, and he drove that in, into my head. And that's exactly what I did when I did Point Guardian. I did one page a day. <laughs> and I mean, what what do you all think? Uh. You you gotta say uh, regarding which of the many aspects that you touch with your recent story. <laughs> As in you you touch many subjects there. For uh, there's the whole webcomic department. There's the getting better department. There's the uh, Ed McKinnis department. The quality of art expected of one, etc. I mean, what the what? Which of the many rants do you expect from us? <laughs> at the okay. Let's let's talk about the first the Ed McGinnis thing. Do you think do you think Wayne was being unfair about Ed McGinnis? Um, depends on first of all which of the comics did you show them. <laughs> um, because he he's not his Superman same. work. Uh, well, that was most of his earlier work. I I actually don't have any issues of him. Oh. Uh, all I I seen that his Superman Batman work. Yes, but but not the. The Superman work alone, but so then again, the there's same. also there's also there's also a thing regarding some artists 
uh, in general. There's like a, there was a sort of art style mentality for a while in some editorials and and schools in general of there's only one right way to draw something. And I I I can't tell because I didn't know your your mentor to say what was the you know his stance on that. But there there's many people that for instance do care a lot about style uh, about for instance uh, ah I know uh, John Kay for instance he has a very personal stance on what uh, cartoons should be. And for instance, he hates uh, square fingers. Well, I do too. And I don't think square fingers are a bad thing. It's just uh, an aesthetical choice. Uh, as long as you know what how a hand works underneath that. That's one of the things that... I, I mean, you got to know what to take from each person. And when it comes to art, everyone has something to, to bring to the table. Uh, in my opinion, when it comes to comics... Uh, after especially my meeting with Riso, it's all about telling the story in a proper way. And in in order to do that, there are some things that do need to be met, like standard uh, knowledge when it comes to storytelling and also some basics on building. You know, many great comic book artists, uh, mostly strip artists, and they can't, uh, they don't know how to, I, I have never seen a proper full body drawing with a sort of realistic proportions. However, that doesn't make them any less great uh, artists at all, in my opinion. Mm. So there, there's a lot to that. That That's one of the things when, uh, when I w we were talking about uh, Kim's work, it's not that I felt that he was a bad artist at all. I just felt that with his uh, level of quality, the amount of detail he puts into his characters, uh, having a background that is so devoid of everything, it didn't live up to, to his art. It was below him. It, it was dragging down his art because it, it wasn't even. That's the thing. It's not about it being right or wrong. Like, uh, Neil uh, talked about how he tried to cheat out of backgrounds and all it's it's not a bad uh, thing you know that uh, it's about uh, telling your story the proper way if you get to cheat a background and you make it work with the sort of art that you're using uh, it's not something bad it's something that's actually better than having an hyper-realistic background and then doing stick figures in front of it. Yeah. It's about of tone and mood and style. There's plenty of artwork that's not realistic at all, not highly detailed. <laughs> that's works true, that's wonder. true. I, that... I'm, I'm reading great... Uh, you know what I'm rereading at this moment? Bone by Jeff Smith. That is, a, that is a good one. But I, th I think we're starting to get off a little off kilter with this because... because that, the the whole thing was I, I did show him Superman the, the Superman run of uh, that uh, that Ed McGinnis did and and like I said Wayne, Wayne's whole stance was was you know he, he's not against stylism too because he loved he he loved Bruce Tim stylism 
he he loved my stylism because he said that I I had a great sense of style. He liked my work, and he was not shy of telling me, Ben, you need to focus more on realism. He told me to read Hogarth for crying out loud when I started, and and I did. And Hogarth almost made me want to quit. Have you ever tried reading Hogarth? What's Hogarth? Hogarth's uh, book of dynamic anatomy. It's it's uh, the old school guys always say this is the first book you have to show anyone who wants to draw comics. Hmm. And it makes you want to quit. I don't know. That's one of the things. That, the ones that I, I've i read and taken to heart are stuff more like uh, Loomis and Will Eisner's, of course. Well, uh, Will Eisner's book is great, too, but uh, Hogarth's book, that's, that's what Wayne always told me. Get Hogarth's book. Get Hogarth's book. Woody told me to get Hogarth's book, so that's where I started. That's where you should start. It was always Hogarth's book first because Hogarth had, like, the foundation. But Hogarth was just so verbose and, like, all – it was like Leonardo da Vinci's, like, pictures of the human body kind of stuff. It was just – it was thick and rich and it makes you want to quit. But I got through it. <laughs> and and I, I think part of it is, is you know, the new generation didn't really – doesn't have to do that and – and, and like you know, look at the basics anymore. That's like they're pretty much already running before they walk, and it's like, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's one of the things I'm trying to tell some of these guys that are coming for advice with me. And and then I go and say, yeah, your perspective is a bit off, and watch out your proportions. And then he goes, I don't understand what you're saying, and I'm like, ah. Oh. You know, this relation of size. I, I, I think the one reason Wayne told me to get Hogarth's book was he wanted to see if I had, like, the strength to keep going after reading it. And if I did, then I had what it took. You know what I mean? Yeah. What makes sense. Because, like I said, Hogarth is, is – is, that, that's what you do to someone that wants to begin. You, you make them want to quit. I mean uh, – I was watching that with uh, Guillermo del he had an interview uh, where he said, you know, the whole every, anyone can be a director and, and how you have to deal with failure and stuff like that. And that if you if you quit after he's, uh, someone like him tells him that you're not uh, fit for it, then it was never up for you. He, he was like, yeah, you got to go and, and and say, yeah, I'll show that fat bastard. Uh, and by failing, you got to fail by your own terms. Right. Yeah, you got to try. That's the thing. You got to try. And if you're going to fail, at least fail by your own terms. Right. And like I said, it's, uh, I think Wayne was impressed by the fact that I stuck with it even after he told me to read Hogarth. Because it's like, because Hogarth's book is like tough. I mean, uh, stuff love. <laughs> like living next to me was this guy who used to be a, a, a cartoonist as well. He drew like cartoon strips in like an Air Force uh, newspaper, and and he also tried to mentor me a little bit, not as much as Wayne did. And I told him the advice that Wayne gave me, you know, read Hogarth's book. He said, Hogarth, really? Man, geez, that's tough. <laughs> because it's like. No, it's uh, you know Hogarth. It's uh, you know he's he's based he's the name of the character in Iron Giant, Hogarth. Mm-hmm. That's the basis of the name of the character after the artist Hogarth. Ah, where was this trivia when we did the Iron Giant episode about the Hogarth book? I thought I thought nearly everyone who got into comics read Hogarth's book because it's just the way that Wayne 
you know, told me everyone has to read Hogarth's book, and that's, I, I thought that was like common knowledge. Mm. I mean, Neil, uh, you know about Hogarth's book, right? Not really. I feel the mandatory read is always Will Eisner's art, uh, you know, sequential art. I, I never heard of the Hogarth book. It hey, is. Uh, you're talking to the guy who was more inspired by like Bill Watterson and uh, Walt Kelly. Here is Hogarth's book. And by the way, Pablo, I, I sent you another page from Kim's Chun-Li art. I'll watch in a second. But Pablo, you didn't accept uh, that. He asked me, Kim asked me what I thought. He said, you forgot the bracelets. And he's like, oh, I'll fix that. <laughs> but there's Hogarth's book. Neil, take a look. It actually shows you a page inside it. What do you think of Hogarth's book? I mean, yeah, that's Hogarth's book. It's like, I still have it on my shelf. Because it's like, yes, I conquered this. What do you think? Do you think it's just the old school is a little too old school now with about the about the requirements of what it takes to be an artist? I don't, I don't think it's a matter of old school versus new school. I just think it's more of... It, I think it just depends on the artist. I mean, I... I think sometimes you you kind of quote from Wayne Howard and you, you kind of you you may put a little too much emphasis on him as like as if like what he says is the gospel and that's not necessarily what it has to be. I mean, you, at that's, one point at one point you have to kind of branch out and come up with your own theories. And, I know, but I, I, it's kind of hard because I dearly love the man. You know, I know. So you should you know certainly look at what he says as like a basis, but like. But uh, in terms of growth, sometimes you have to kind of uh, go outside the lines a little and maybe not follow every rule that's ever been like taught to you. Because I'm pretty much self-taught. I ne- I'd never really had someone I would call a mentor. It's just basically, you know, here's some goofy cartoons I used to watch that I'm kind of emulating. and <laughs> here's, this, here's this weird comic strip that, like, broke the mold on everything and then even though I don't even draw anywhere near the same kind of comic he did, I'm still inspired by him just because of how wild he was. Hmm. But yeah, that's Hogarth's book. Like I said, it's. A... I think my friend Fiorella has it. If it's the one, I think, or was it the Loomis book? Because it had a similar cover. But she goes into continental art schools, so she's better. Uh, trained than me like i said it's uh you know i grew up you know i i was trained by going through hogarth's book and then and then it's like uh you know look at hal foster always look at how how look at the old prince valiant strips hal foster did look at how he inked look at how how his use of blacks look at look at how his use in white space and all that it's like you know that, that's that's how he trained me it was always you know yeah, you know, look at the people that, that that I learned from. Look at the people that I taught that I, I that I was training with, who trained me, and all this. It was like he was trying to teach me to be a proxy of what his experience was, and all that. You know. Mm-hmm. Oddly, he never told me to look directly at like Wally Wood stuff, even though Wally Wood was his direct mentor. What? 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 Wayne Howard never told me to look directly at Wally Wood stuff. He always told me to look at Hal Foster instead when it was when it came to like lessons in inking. Hmm. Interesting. 
even though he, he kept on saying that Wally Wood was the best thinker, I, he told, kept on telling me to go to Hal Foster instead. Strange way to go for it. I don't know, maybe he thought that my, my style was similar to Hal Foster's. It could be more fitting, yeah. And, Neil, you're probably right. You're, pro- you're probably right, and I do quote Wayne a little too much, but it's, you know, it's, it's just really hard because it's like, you know, it's like, it's like, you know, it's a, uh, imagine if Adam Warren, like, personally trained you. Yeah, that would be, that would be kind of hard to, like, break free of that. <laughs> Whereas I just, I kind of, like, follow him peripherally, and he does, like, he's barely aware that I even exist, and he's never really given me pointers, but I just kind of follow him. Right. Yeah. Like I said, for me, it's a little different because, you know, it's it was a very, it was a, it was a very close relationship I had, and, and... But you know, even even with having a a mentor per se, you could still kind of draw from other inspirations because I draw from a bunch, bunch of different. Well, I, I do I do too. It's uh, and you know, they're not they're not necessarily always uh like graphic artists. Like some some of my insp- inspirations are just like old vaudeville uh, comedians or like I said, even like the Bozo Show. It's like when they were <laughs> doing quote unquote kids entertainment that was not quite uh appropriate for kids that the timing and sense of humor that sort of thing kind of bleeds into my sense of humor very fair but uh, yeah i sort of let that happen too because like i said one, one the, the the first movie i ever saw was Spaceballs, and that influences a lot of how i see things with me it's like blazing saddles and caddyshack <laughs> and uh the uh let's see um uh, my my favorite I'm I'm actually one of those people that actually likes Superman Returns. I still don't get why people don't like that movie. Uh, I always say it's way better directed than it is written. That's true. It it didn't need to take as much hate as it got though. Yeah. I, and uh, and Man of Steel doesn't deserve all the love it's getting. Uh, I think it's getting what it deserves actually, because half the world hates it and half the world loves it. Seriously, I it, it, I've seen many people very split when it comes to their Man of Steel love. I think you just gotta kind of wait this out because sometimes, you know, movies will come out and they'll be big, and then slowly the hate train will, will just roll right over it. it yeah, sometimes just look it, at it, Transformers. it takes yeah, it takes time for people to realize, hey, this was a shitty movie. I mean, so, Transform- Transformers did gangbusters, and now it's kind of regarded as like shit. Yeah, shit. So yeah, it's uh, you know. I, I just love the the old stories though because he you know it, it made me feel like I do I knew the guys that he knew you know he tells me stories yeah. about the you know when he hung out with Jack Kirby you know you know he 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 Jack Kirby invited him to uh, to visit him so they could like go over his portfolio Jack Kirby actually you know said you know come come over to my place in New York City I'll, I'll you know when he was still a high school kid and uh, and he did. And, uh, you know, he got lost. He called Jack Kirby. Jack Kirby sent a cab for him and paid the cab fare. Yeah. And they, they ate they ate the cucumber sandwiches and went over the art. of And then Kirby showed him the art he was doing for, for Thor. And it was just like just like this amazing experience. And I felt like I was right there, you know, with this scared young kid from, from uh, Cleveland asking, Mr. Kirby, could you please look over my portfolio? It, 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 made, it made it feel real to me, too. You know what I mean? Right. 
It made me feel like I knew the king. And, and you, you don't know what that's like. It's like, you know, even peripherally, it's like, boom. It's it's like it becomes more real to, to me, you know? Yeah. Come on. Have you ever heard uh, uh, John Kay tell the story of uh, the time he met Bob Clampett? I have it, not. It's on, uh, it's on, god damn it, what, what comic podcast is that? Uh, oh, you're talking about John Kay? Yeah, John Kay, he was on. God damn it! What podcast? It was the Nerdist podcast he was on. This was like months ago, but uh, yeah, he told a story. He really thought of uh, Bob Clampett as like a mentor of him, and he and he was talking about all the funny stories that Bob Clampett told him. And yeah, you could. I I think that's kind of a weakness of Bob of not of Bob of uh, John Kay because he kind of he kind of idolizes Bob Clampett just a little too much. I think that's his one true drawback is that he he. He judges everything by Bob by Bob Clampett's standards, and it it causes them to not appreciate uh, other artists. Like he doesn't really have an appreciation for uh, for Chuck Jones, and I don't really see why. That actually is a little unfair, and you're actually yeah. right. I am I do that a lot based off of what Wayne said because, like I said, I used to love Megatokyo until he said that, yeah. and I, I still think I'm justified because because. Because Fred Gallagher has a shitty work ethic, so I think I'm kind of justified in, the, in that whole feeling. But at the same time, that is true, and and Ed, I kind of do think Ed McGinnis draws things that are too muscly, overly veiny. Yeah, like so I, I I can honestly say that I don't really care for McGinnis' style either. And like when when Wayne basically said that Wally would basically would basically tell the guy to his face that he doesn't know how to draw, I, I, that's that's a little extreme. But at the yeah. same time, it's like. <laughs> but but at the same time, you know all the his all the things he told me about the history. He, you know he he Wayne Howard flat out told me that 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 Stanley did nothing in the creative process. That I can believe. And and people challenged me on this. I said I knew a guy that was in the room. What do you have? Oh yeah, fourth fourth hand accounts that are in a book. Yeah. <laughs> and and what what Wayne told me about the. Uh, about uh, what well, Wayne told me about uh, his experience with uh, you know talking with Jack Kirby is like you know Jack Kirby would be talking about the war you know World War II and he didn't know when it was Jack's story or bleeding into like a comic book story that Jack wrote mm. because it always bled back and forth you know right because that's just how Jack told those war stories you know it actually the the funny story was when J- jack actually enlisted in in world war 1 he enlisted in the army and uh, wayne told this story so i'm i'm doing the same thing you just said that john k does uh so jack kirby was called by his sergeant he's like jack kirby the the comic book artist and jack's like yes sir and he's like good you get you're going to draw you're going to be a scout you're going to draw maps wayne tells the story better than i do <laughs> but it's it's a good Jack Kirby story, like yeah yeah the guy who draws Captain America yeah you're just gonna draw you're just gonna be a scout and you're gonna draw maps of uh, for us to, so we know where everything is. I, I don't know that that that, keeps, that seems a little funny. It it is. But yeah it's uh, and, and that's the kind of stories I heard you know stories from Kirby stories from uh, Wally Wood and you know stories about uh, Steve Ditko. Anytime Steve Ditko shows up, he would always say, "You have to read Ann Rand. You have to re- read Ann Rand." I've listened to Rush. 
I fell asleep trying to read Atlas Shrugged. Yeah, I've already heard it's uh it's a real snoozer. Page six. Well Pablo is uh having connection issues. Yes. And keep in mind, when I was in first grade, I read the whole encyclopedia set in my house because I was bored during the summer, but I fell asleep on page six of Ayn Rand. <laughs> I am not joking. Pablo! But yeah, yeah, like I said, it's a, you know, Wally's, Wayne's views on everything seem to influence me a lot. You know, basically, that that's why I called Dwayne McDuffie a sellout. Yeah. And that made a lot more sense to you, didn't it? Yeah, it's like, oh, there's... <laughs> because now I see that... Uh, what What's the name of that character? It was... Uh, Icon. Icon, yeah. I'm like, oh, Icon is uh, is like Wayne Howard. <laughs> I immediately caught that. <laughs> yeah, Wayne, Wayne always wore pressed suits and, like, starched, you know, white shirts and... In blue suits and a blue hat. Yeah. And smoked cigars. He he was Howard the Duck. <laughs> and you would have never thought that was based off a black guy. No, not really, no. That is just so funny to you, isn't it? It's like It is funny. Because it's like boom. It's like Well well to me what happened with Wayne is like I said, I knew Wayne from a chat room for years and I didn't even know he was in the comics. And I was talking about Batman the animated series, and and that's when Wayne said, "Oh yeah, I I know I I, I knew Bob Kane." I'm like, "What really?" And he's like, "Yeah, I used to draw a couple comics back in the day, and that's when we started talking more about it." And so yeah, it's a uh, Pablo. What do you think of the this uh, Chen Li? Uh, pretty, real pretty. He's he said he's reminds, gonna. He, 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 he said, reminds me a bit of Omar Dogan when he does Chen Li. <laughs> ah, yeah. And, uh, and, uh, and actually, Kim asked me what I thought, and I said, she's not wearing the bracelets. And he's like, oh, I, I'll add that. So, And, of course, it could be nice if he either, A, added more kinetic lines, or B, added some hints of a background behind her. Okay. In just my modest opinion. Her hips need a little bit more work, I think. Hmm. And thighs. Yeah, if you're gonna get, uh, you know, if if you get joint, then yeah. But I it, I don't see this as a you know a bad example of hips. Only that yeah I that I usually expect. Yeah, that's it. Okay. So so you think this is good? I always thought it's good. Okay. What does it need other than a background and her bracelets? It's just, you know, the whole... Hmm? Other than her, hmm? a background and her bracelets, she needs her signature bracelets. That's the one way of putting it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, Umar Dragon? Hmm? That's when... He, Omar. That's... Uh, Omar Dugan? Yeah. I always thought that was Dragon. Oh, Omar Dragon. That is one badass name. Or Omar Dogan, actually. It sounds, that sounds like an attack in Street Fighter. Omar Dogan! Strangely appropriate. <laughs> Indeed. He is like Mr. Street Fighter. His first work finds the regular series. Uh, the Endly Valley. 
what he's doing right now. There you go. I have to say, I have to say, the Ninja Girl's my favorite on this one. Oh, Ibuki. Yeah. Yeah. She she's definitely the cutest one there. Yeah, it's pretty cute. What do you say? What do you say, Pablo? He does a lot of good pictures of of Ibuki. First, I also like Karen, the the blonde haired girl up at the top left. Oh, she's, the... she's she's funny to use in Street Fighter Alpha Three because she has she has a counter move that, you know, sometimes you you take a lot of bumps for trying to use it, but when when you actually get it to work, it's hilarious. Hmm. And then there's also uh, she also does the Naga the Serpent laugh. So yes, <laughs> that's the taunt. I love that. It's one of my favorite humiliation characters. Over even, even over. more so than Dan. Danny. Oh, Danny boy, the pipes, the pipes are calling. Mm. I think this is... What? Pablo's having problems, but funny enough, I can kind of hear him. I kind of hear his end of... I think that's his audio. Yeah, because that's the the someone is calling noise. I can hear it. That's from my phone. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah, let's call it a night. It's late. It is late, so... So let's call it a night, Neil. Do we have an episode here? Oh, yeah. All right, cool. Good night, Neil. Good, Good night.